five. Now this is most important, Rat. It comes down to making out whenever possible. Put on side one of Rock All Over You Podcast! Let's rock! Eric and Edwin! Edwin and Eric! They don't give a fuck! They just want you to rock! Yeah! Bam 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 dilly dee! Bam bam bam! All right, everyone, and here we are, the Rock All Over You podcast with me, Eric Jordan, RMCP, and with me as always is Mr. Eduardo Canastracci. Edwin, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. It's the afternoon, and I'm drinking some Jim Beam, Double Oak, the Double Oak uh, on the rocks, because, you know, it's a hot day, hot day in Florida. So Hot day here, too, man, but luckily it's... Luckily, we're almost done with this hot weather here in Indiana, oh, but... I can't, I can't wait. I love the fall. It's my favorite I love time fall, dude. Yep. But uh, I'm actually drinking some of those, uh, the illustrious um, alcoholic Mountain Dews. Uh, yeah, classic. I, went, I had a friend, he went to uh, he went to Georgia, I believe, for a vacation, and I he told me, like, he was going to be stopping in uh, Tennessee where they sell these, and he was going to pick up some, and so he's like, what, what flavor do you have a preference for? And I'm... I forget why I told him, but I'm like, yeah, give me that flavor. He comes back, he brought me the whole variety case, so I've been drinking these all all week, man, because I've been off call, so enjoying it, man. These are pretty damn good. I will say, if you get the chance to get a case of them, I definitely recommend them. What, what, what are the different flavors? So they got original Mountain Dew flavor, they have the Baja Blast flavor, um, they got black cherry and watermelon. My favorites are definitely the watermelon and just the original Mountain Dew, but uh, they're pretty good. They're a little hard to get used to because of the zero sugar taste, but uh, once you get past that, they're pretty damn good and they grow on you. There you go. Yeah, not bad. I'm I'm not a big uh, Mountain Dew guy. So oh, see, that's know. like my favorite like like uh, pop to drink. I'm I'm from the Midwest too, so I say pop. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. No, Edwin's, uh, Edwin's over here, probably like, what the fuck? What's pop? <laughs> I, I, yeah, I didn't know. I've heard fabled stories of people, of you Midwesterners saying pop. I didn't know it really was a thing, but apparently well, we get, I think I think the name comes. I think we get the name pop because if you put uh, you put like a can of uh, a can or bottle or whatever of like pop in the freezer, it will explode. Or if it gets too cold, it, which we it gets pretty cold here in the Midwest, and you leave uh, leave it in your car, it'll explode on you. So that's probably why they got the name pop. In the no- northeast, we just call it soda because it's soda. Or you, or you can make everyone happy, and we just call it soda pop. <laughs> Although my father called it soda. Soda. Yeah, he at least we're at least, hey, at least we're not like Texas where we call everything cokes. <laughs> yeah, there's got to be like some product placement issues, some <laughs> copyright infringement right there. Um, you always think, you know, I, there's that moment. Does anyone ever go in a place? I know it sucks. I'm a Coke guy. I'm not a Pepsi guy, but. You, you go into a place like, I don't know, you know, any place, a Taco Bell, whatever, and you say, give me a Coke, and they go, we don't have Coke, we have Pepsi. Oh, yeah, I mean, is Pepsi okay? No, no, I'm going to jump from Coke to something even, like, no, give, that's it, I'm not drinking anything now, if it's Pepsi. <laughs> Does anyone say that? Does anyone just say, no, give me a Sprite well, instead? <laughs> well, one time I went to a brothel, and I was like, can I get a blowjob, and they're like, is handjob okay? And I'm like, fuck! Yeah, that is a good equivalent, actually. <laughs> I'm like, no, I'll give myself a hand job for free and I'm better at it. 
Pepsi is the hand job to Coke's blow job, in my opinion. I do like Coca-Cola. I'm a Coca-Cola fan. I'm not like against soda. I just not. I don't know. I tried to get into Mountain Dew. It's. I know it's got like more caffeine and fucking yeah, anything. I, or at least before Red Bull hit in the marketplace, it did. I like the, the flavored Mountain Dews. I I used to like regular Mountain Dew when I was younger, but. It just doesn't taste the same anymore. I like all the flavored ones, like Code Red, Voltage, Baja Blast. All the flavored ones are where it's at. So, so let's uh, not just talk about soda. Let's talk about Led Zeppelin. Oh yeah, probably. Yeah. Uh, you know, may look at them as probably the best rock band of all time. And I'd love to hear your story because you did a video not too long ago about Led Zeppelin, but you didn't really go into your history too much about. What got you into them? And I'm curious how you discovered them. Yeah, I got... I'm trying to think of the first time I ever heard Led Zeppelin. I think... Although I didn't really talk about this in terms of it being the first time I heard Led Zeppelin at all. But I did talk in that video I made about Led Zeppelin. I did talk about the first time I heard Cashmere. And I think that might have been the first time I heard Led Zeppelin. And it was from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I actually saw that movie as a child even though it was like an r-rated you know your dad was in that movie yeah yeah (laughs) by inception people can actually conception people can actually see my conception in that movie conceived in (laughs) two seconds yep in the fucking pool house but but, seriously though i i you know i was uh i couldn't actually be conceived because i was actually living already i was i was a (laughs) child of the 80s but the i was very young though and, you know, my things were just looser back then. That's all I'm going to say is it might seem like nowadays, like, you know, millennials or Zoomers might be like, oh, my God, your parents let you watch Fast Times at Ridgemont High. They were perverts or something. It wasn't like them. Just saying it was a different time period. Yeah. And I like, it was, watched that when I was real young, too. It's like, yeah, we, it, it, I knew a lot of kids. We all saw those, like, R-rated comedies and stuff. Yeah. Like, there was more extreme stuff. Like, they weren't letting me watch, like, Friday the 13th movies and stuff as a kid. But we could watch, like, John Carpenter movies. We could watch, yeah. all, we could watch all the R-rated, you know, from the Blues Brothers to Beverly Hills Cop. Like, all that stuff was R-rated. You know, Vacation. The thing, too, is, like, as a kid, I know, especially with me, like, some of those jokes that are, like, kind of inappropriate, some of them just go over our heads and we don't get them at that age. Yeah, and it was like, I had a major, like, every boy in the 80s, I had a major crush on Phoebe Cates, but oh, because fuck I, yeah. I saw her in Gremlins, so think about how hot this That's is. That's how I started. I saw her in <laughs> Gremlins first in the 90s, and then I saw that movie, I'm like, yes! It's hotter to see her first in Gremlins and then see Fast Time. Yeah! <laughs> it's like, you, you see, like, the girl next door that you have a crush on, but then you, yeah. like, finally get with her, and you see her naughty sign, you're like, fuck yeah! Yeah, it makes it naughtier. It makes it much, it made it much more depraved. So, yeah, so I was like, oh, my God, this is the greatest movie ever. Plus, that Jeff Spicoli guy's pretty funny, you know. Yep. And it wasn't until you – and then it's funny because it, as a teenager, essentially, I was very similar to, to Mike Damone. And I was wondering, maybe it was, like, my formative year seeing that movie. I was like, oh, I'll be like Damone. He was a cool guy, you know. Women <laughs> went to have sex with him in a pool house. I mean, you were better in bed than he was, though. <laughs> yeah, well, I was just a teenager. Let's cut the <laughs> slack, you know? No, I wasn't great as a teenager either. No guys fucking. No, I don't think any of us were. As a teenager. I'm sure by the time Damone was in his 20s, he, he was, you know, going for a good 30 to 45 minutes. <laughs> the Iron Chef of uh, Pound and Badge. <laughs> you know, but come on, when we're teenagers, we're all quick on the draw. Let's just say that. But, so, 
the but anyway, so as a kid, so I don't know, I was like six or seven years old when I first saw this movie. And there's that scene. There's a lot of great scenes in the 80s where people are driving at night with a song playing yep. like in the car. I love scenes like that. And, of course, like you have TV shows like Mammy Vice. And there were just a lot of movies and TV shows like that where you heard a really cool song while characters are driving at night. And I always loved scenes like that, even as a kid. In Cashmere, yeah, there was something about that song. All I know is, like, I didn't know much about music back then, you know. Mainly, I just, you know, borrowed some tapes from my brother, or, like, I had some soundtrack records, so, and just listened to the radio. I didn't, you know, I wasn't an expert, you know, by any means. But there was just something about Cashmere, just hearing it, just out of a little car stereo in a movie, you know, like, kind of ambient soundtrack, soundtrack cue, you know. And... I was just like, wow, this is really cool. Like, it just had a, it just kind of resonated with me. But I was still too young to go out and like buy cassettes or anything like that. So it's just something I kind of remembered. There was this cool song that I heard in Fast Times at Ridgemont High when they were driving. And that movie had a lot of great soundtrack cues. But that's, but that was the one that stuck with me the most. It wasn't until a couple years later when, actually it was probably, I would say probably in high school, actually. I'm thinking about this. Junior high. Maybe it was junior high. Yeah, I guess it was junior high. Where it was suddenly, yeah, Wayne's World, like, reference um, Stairway to Heaven. There was oh, this, yeah. And, it, like, it was a culture. Like, one thing about the early 90s, I always talk about this period a lot. But, you know, it's when I was in junior high. And it's, like, classic rock. There was this real resurgence of classic rock. Like, it was Yeah, we talked about, about the Ozzy episode. Yeah, it's like people were listening to a lot of older music, and, you know, Aerosmith and ACDC were having comebacks, and along with that, like, I just remember me and a lot of my friends were listening to, like, The Doors and Jimi Hendrix, and Led Zeppelin were kind of part of that. They were part of that wave. There was this, like, wave where suddenly they were, like, a current band again, like, and I remember, was it Great White? I think one of the hair metal bands, like, covered Babe, I'm Gonna Leave You. That was Great White. They did at, like, an MTV Unplugged. Unplugged. Yeah, MTV they, Unplugged. They were, that's a band that can really do a damn good Zeppelin cover. Yeah, because they got that, you know, bluesy, you know, quality. And, yeah, I remember, that was the first time I heard that song. So, and, so, Zeppelin was kind of, it was, they were being talked about, too. The movie Singles, Matt Dillon's character makes a Led Zeppelin reference. You know, they were, like, in a grunge band, and they referenced Led Zeppelin. Well, so they like, did in Wayne's World, too, uh, with yeah. that one joke. They're like, oh, Led Zeppelin didn't write tunes everyone liked. They, like, they left that to the Bee Gees. Yeah, so, so Led Zeppelin was kind of, they were in the conversation, you know? So, so because of that... And they had, I think this, yeah, it was just coming out. MTV showed, it was like this song that no one had heard before. It was this uh, unreleased track, uh, Traveling Riverside Blues. And they yeah. did a promotional video for it, and it was to uh, promote this box set. This first ever big four-disc Led Zeppelin career retrospective box set. And I went out, and it was like, I think it was like Christmas time, actually, now that I think about it. Yeah, I didn't go out. It was a Christmas gift. I asked my parents for it. I got it as a Christmas gift, and I got that big Led Zeppelin box set. So that's how it was like a orange cover, and it showed like the symbols and the zepp the shadow of the Zeppelin nice. over it. And it pretty much had, you know, because Led Zeppelin was only around like in the very late sixties and seventies, you know, just ten years, just ten years. So the, not that many albums. So it was like four discs. It was pretty much like ninety percent of their catalog. You know, there's only one or two songs, like maybe one or two songs from this album are presents that 
didn't make the to cut. So it was like mm-hmm. most of most of the Led Zeppelin's catalog. So because of that, I didn't really feel a need to go out and get their albums because I had so much of it on that box set. And for years, that was pretty much it for me with Led Zeppelin. If I felt like listening to Led Zeppelin, I listened to one of those four discs because because they so much of you know their music was on that box set. But then, you know, as the years go by, I think it was probably the first round of remasters, maybe late 90s, early 2000s. That's when I thought, you know, I really should just have their proper albums. And by uh, now, like, the Internet was involved, you know, so I would sample and hear some shit and be like, yeah, th- this sounds like a cool song. Like, you know, Down by the Seaside's not on that fucking box set. I'm going to have to get these albums, like, you know. <laughs> so so I then, you know, I pretty much I probably bought them all in like one wave. Like I got all the remasters. And from that point on, I was even my my fandom had reached another level. I got that great DVD in the 2000s and the O's that had all the live performances that was simply called Led Zeppelin. That blew me away. I bought them. Uh, I bought that. And I just, there's a there was a time period, especially where I like flew out, to, you know, when I was like doing a lot of that screenwriting stuff at first, uh, first time I flew out to LA and then I moved to New York City the second time where I had like my own place and some money. And I kind of associate that period with kind of this rekindled love of Led Zeppelin because it was like Led Zeppelin was like a, it's like a big band for big times, if you know what I mean. They were playing it, they are one of those (laughs) bands like a good time in your life, uh, they were in your headphones. Yeah, because like there's just something about Zeppelin that's like, yeah, you're going to fucking own it. It's like they're big, they're like the fucking gods coming down, the hammer of God coming down. And they had that history, and I started hanging out the rainbow, and there was that whole wonderful history. Like, they were the first band to really kind of make that a spot, the the Rainbow Bar and Grill, and, mm-hmm. and the whole Sunset Strip. Like, they kind of started all that. And, you know, what, of course, peaked kind of in the 80s, but that culture kind of started in the mid-70s with Led Zeppelin. And, you know, reading, and I started, you know, reading the books and getting all into that. And then when I start to read about Jimmy Page and practicing, you know, dark, you know, the, the black arts and Oliskan <laughs> Mansion up in Scotland and all that Aleister Crowley stuff. And I just got deeper and deeper in. And, you know, now I would say safely, Led Zeppelin's one of my favorite bands of all time. Jimmy Page is my favorite guitarist. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's my favorite guitarist for a lot of reasons, both as a musician and as a producer and songwriter. I say he's and, your favorite producer, too, because I remember you said that in your video. Yeah, he's my favorite producer, and just his persona, just everything about him, like the fucking badass. He's kind of like the, I, I hate, and I hate comparing Led Zeppelin with a shitty band like Motley Crue, but he's kind of like the Mick Mars, because he's just like the mysterious one that's kind of like, there's something dark and sinister about him. That you, but you don't know everything. Like I kind of like that, like mystique about him that he always had. Yeah, he does. Like you can watch those foot, like the the footage, and we'll talk more about this later when we talk about in my time of dying. But yeah, you know, there's that performance where he does these hand gestures where it's yeah. like he's like he's you know putting a spell on the audience. He's casting a spell, and these hand gestures and his movements. There's just yeah something generally dark and mysterious about him and you know i love a lot of horror movies and i dabbled a little bit even in a little black magic and some white magic too man it's come from me a a christian too like i I had like a rebellious phase like in middle school where i was reading up on this shit but you know you you can't have the light without the dark you know and that's black sabbath alice cooper a lot of artists like that have 
played with this idea that there's dark like lawless too yeah and there's even a song on this album that we'll be discussing like in the light which to me is kind of a combination oh. of dark yeah. and, and light you know which we'll talk about when we get in there but i think that's the thing let's have, in a lot of ways i and i said this a bit in the i think i touched upon this in the video that yeah. jamie page is the darkness and robert plant was like the light like he's like the angelic one and and jimmy page is the dark satanic one and then you got you know bonzo was the best rhythm er- section in in uh yeah. in music history probably yeah they were like they grounded it they were like the earthier guys that grounded it and yeah so yeah i love led zeppelin they're one of my favorite bands there there was a period there was probably a period i would say like 95 to 2000 where because i was working with my brother i was hanging draperies with him we had classic rock radio oh yeah yeah yeah. so there was because led zeppelin there's no i don't think there's any band even the beatles don't get played as much as led zeppelin i can't think of a band that doesn't that gets played more than led zeppelin and i would say like led zeppelin they, they don't even have that many deep tracks because of classic rock. There's a few, a Agreed. couple, maybe one or two on this album, maybe a handful in presence, and that's about it. I feel like everything else gets fucking played. And, oh, yeah. And <laughs> so, like, there were especially things, you know, obviously four gets played the most, but a lot of Led Zeppelin albums are very well represented on classic rock radio and it was like get the lead out and stuff like that where you just heard hours and blocks like of Led block zeppelin. of zeppelin yeah. yeah so as a result there was a period where i just could not listen to led zeppelin anymore like so i did have a period where i was just like oh i can't listen to them anymore and i even like sold that box that i had i was like yeah. <laughs> get just no more too much zeppelin and it, and that's i think why a few years later though when i did like when I was no longer working, um, had a job where I was forced to listen to classic rock radio, suddenly I start to miss Led Zeppelin. <laughs> that's when I got those remastered albums, and that's when I rekindled my love for them. So, yeah, they're a band that can be played out. You know, they're played out. It's a lot, It's it's kind of like a Black Sabbath or Paranoid, which is the only album that does get, you know, played a lot on classic rock radio you know you know th- at least three of the songs get played a lot on classic rock radio and as a result you know it's like paranoid's like of the first six albums that's the one i like to listen to the least because of that you know and that's not because it's not an amazing album but it's just that you know it's just a little played out and likewise like led zeppelin 4 is very played out for me even today even as much mm-hmm. as i love led zeppelin and I talked about this in my Led Zeppelin video too. Like four is not my favorite albums, only because it's so played out. Because even by Led Zeppelin standards, that album is played out. Oh, but yeah. but I still love it, and I love all their stuff. And I do think that they're. I know a lot of people consider them. You know, they're up there with like the Beatles and Rolling Stones. I agree that mm-hmm. Black Sabbath should be held like in the same regard. I feel they should be considered just as important and just as you know they should be just as big as led zeppelin in my opinion i don't think bigger but just as big you know yeah and uh, and they aren't so but at the same time whereas black sabbath i think is undervalued i say led zeppelin is like perfectly valued i think that they're you know they are one of the best bands of the 20th century they were they elevated rock and roll music to heights that, you know, very few, there's a lot of bands I love, but there's very few bands that elevate rock and roll music to such a high level. And I put them up there with, with the Beatles, in my opinion. And I do think that they were one of the greatest rock bands of the, of the 20th century. And I'm a huge fan. So what are you, what's your history, Eric, 
with oh, this legendary band that most people love. <laughs> well, so most of the people that are on our page and are familiar, already familiar with our show kind of know I'm like kind of a Led Zeppelin hater. And I got a little bit of a history, and I'm going to try and make sure I don't go too long. But I have a long history about Led Zeppelin, and I'm kind of, a, kind of not a big fan. But then, I don't know what it was, something... Something in me like told me to listen to this album, and then that's why I agreed. Like, hey, we need to do this episode, and then I'll just get into it. But my thing with Led Zeppelin started. I was a young, young kid. I think I was in. It was still first grade, or maybe it was. This was by second grade. I was a young kid who was huge into Kiss. I was into Kiss from the time I was six years old. Loved Kiss. Everything was Kiss. Everything about Kiss. And uh, I started getting into other bands. Like, by the, you know, within a year, I started looking. I think I got into, like, Iron Maiden next. And then, like, Juice Priest. Uh, you know, bands like Bad Company, Cinderella. Like, it was just hard rock, heavy metal. Whatever my mom and dad were listening to. My dad more had, like, the, the heavy metal music. My mom was more into, like, the hard rock and everything else in between. And um, I, um, I never heard about Zeppelin. I just remember seeing the the song remains the same uh, VHS and DVD cover because it had the Les Paul in there. I'm like, oh wow, that's like uh, Ace Frehley's guitar, but didn't really know much about them. And then I think it was uh, I was at my uh, me and my mom were hanging out at like this lady uh, Sandra. We were hanging out at her house, and she used to babysit me. I had a big crush on her, and so I'm talking to her about Kiss, and you know, and she went to high school in the 70s. So I'm talking about her, about, like, man, how many, like, kids in your high school are into KISS and seeing KISS concerts? She's like, well, when I was in school, no one really cared about KISS. It was more about Led Zeppelin. I got kind of, like, pissy about it. I'm like, what? Like, KISS is the best band. Who's this fucking shitty Led Zeppelin band, you know? I'm like, fuck them. They ain't good as KISS. But then it was, like, a week later, I'm like, I wonder how that Led Zeppelin band sounds. I'm like, I wonder if they're really that good. And then I think, I didn't even buy an album first. It was The Song Remains the Same DVD. I saw it at the store at, like, Walmart or something when my mom was grocery shopping or whatever. And I told her, like, hey, can I get this and watch it? And she said, yeah. So I I got Song Remains the Same, and I put it in, watched it that night. And at first, like, the first, like, 30 or 40 minutes, I was like, what the fuck's going on? There's, like, a wolf man and, like, all these gangsters shooting each other and whatnot. I'm like, is this the right DVD? But the performance starts, and I was blown away. Like, it really blew me away. Like, they were really good. They had a pretty damn cool stage show, and I love, like, all the different, like, uh, like visual stuff that they added within the concert footage. You know, like, I love John Paul Jones with No Quarter, where he had, like, he was on the horseback with the creepy-looking mask and whatnot. It was real scary, and you had, like, Dazed and Confused, like Jimmy Page climbing the mountain. There's the guy with the neon sword and whatnot it was just so cool and it blew me away and i was like okay this let this led zeppelin band's pretty legit and so i raided my mom's uh, cd collection for her led zeppelin cds and I, I became a big fan and it pretty much continued into middle school now by middle school though i started discovering other bands that were like around at the same time as zeppelin i started discovering you know uh, Blue Oyster Cold. I started, you know, I knew about Black Sabbath, but I started digging deeper into their catalog, like their deep cuts. And then, you know, uh, Deep Purple I was really into. 
Rainbow and just and uh, you know Rush. I, I started diving deep into these other seventies bands, and it got to a point where I'm like, I'm like, Led Zeppelin's great, but why the hell is this band talked about so much? But then all these bands are kind of, kind of like you know, like brushed aside, like you know, oh well, these bands are pretty good, but they're not Zeppelin, and it almost kind of like it, it kind of angered me in a way. And then also, too, like you said, like, Led Zeppelin was played so goddamn much on radio, or, like, you hung out with people that liked hard rock, and they played Zeppelin to death, and so I I got to a point, like, it was around high school, I got just so sick of Zeppelin, and then I got sick, too, of, like, the elitist attitude that, like, a lot of Zeppelin fans used to to have, and it was kind of like the thing with, like, Iron Maiden fans, I feel, nowadays, where, like, they feel like, you know, this... Led Zeppelin's of a higher intellect and, like, a higher, like, they're on a different pedestal than your bands. Like, they, if you don't like Zeppelin or if you think this band's better than Zeppelin, like, you know, your opinion doesn't matter kind of deal. Like, I remember in high school seeing a guy, like, talking with his friend. His friend told him, like, yeah, I'm just not that big into Zeppelin. I think he was talking about, like, how much he loves Skinner. And he's like, I like Skinner better than Zeppelin. I just don't, Led Zeppelin never did anything for me. And his friend literally, like, in tears, having a bitch fit about his friend, like, being like, oh, I think Leonard Skinner's better than Zeppelin, like, literally freaking out, because, like, him thinking, like, no, you're wrong, you're wrong, how dare you say that, don't even look at me. (laughs) So then it just kind of, it went on that way, like, from high school, like, to my adult years, I just kind of, like, it was the burnout from Led Zeppelin, and then just discovering all these other bands I thought were better, and then the elitist attitude that, like, you know, a majority of Zeppelin fans had, it just really turned me off. And it wasn't until, like, very recently, and that's why I agreed to do this episode, I, you know, I did a review with Mark on Presence, and that album it had a couple good songs, but didn't really do much to change my mind. But then Sun told me, like, you know what? And I think it was your video, too. Like, I saw your video, and then I also heard an episode of Rock Metal Combat Podcast. I was looking at old episodes, and they talked about physical graffiti. I'm like, you know what? This is an album... There's a lot of songs on here. It's a double album. I'm like, a lot of these songs, I don't think I've even heard, or maybe I heard them once and didn't listen to them again. So I'm like, let me give this a shot. Like, Sun just told me, give this album a chance. And I listened to it, and, like, it was kind of half and half. I liked half the songs, didn't like the other half, but then I listened to it again. And then I told you, like, hey, we should do a we should do an episode about this, because it's a double album. We could do it just the two of us. It'd be a pretty cool one to talk about, whether I like it or hate it. But man, I kept listening to it more and more when, like, we agreed to do the episode. And man, I I love this album. There's still yeah. a couple of songs that I don't really like, but I love this album. And then I went back and I listened to all these old Zeppelin albums that I have not listened to like in a long time, or like if I heard them, I was kind of like, oh, like turn that shit off. Um, I listened to them. And, God damn, like, it's like, it's like my love of Zeppelin came back. It's like all the burnout, all of that is just like, it, it finally dissipated. It, like, enough time's gone by where it's dissipated, and it's like, I've rediscovered my love of this band. And, I mean, I still got complaints. I still think they're a little overrated. I think there are other bands that are maybe better than them, or, you know, don't get enough credit as them. I still think Robert Plant, like, his voice is like, sometimes it's really good, but sometimes his voice just sounds like greats on me. Um, but man, it, like I've literally like I've like rediscovered my love of this band though. Like I, 
I was listening like House of the Holy, uh, Led Zeppelin 2, Led Zeppelin 4, and all that. Uh, Enter the Outdoors still sounds like shit. I hate that fucking album, that's, and we'll talk my, about that in a future episode. Yeah, but, my, yeah, it's like, my, my band, like, I've fallen in love with this band again, and it's almost like I rediscovered them. So uh, that's why I wanted to do this episode, because I know like our listeners of the show that know me as a Zeppelin hater are going to be shocked by this. It's going to be a big surprise to them. Yeah, I'm glad. Now I can trust uh, my wallet around you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I had a feeling when you said you wanted to, because you kept alluding to it. You're like, oh, you'll be surprised. I know, I didn't want to like spoil it, but like at the same time, I was kind of like, no, we really need to do this episode. <laughs> no, I, lo- I love the fact that you wanted to do it. Yeah, and you've been talking about it for a month now, so you've been, but, which is good, though, because it gave you time to love it even more. Yeah. Physical graffiti... As you know from my video, and if you know, I, I would assume anyone listening to this has probably seen that video, but if they haven't, check it out on YouTube, me talking about Led Zeppelin for like an hour and a half, very drunk. <laughs> it's epic. It's as it epic is. as Led Zeppelin. But in it, yeah, this, well, I'm going to just spoil the video. I mean, you still should watch it anyway, because it's about the details. But yeah, this is oh, my yeah. favorite, because it was a Rankarama. But yeah, this is my favorite Led Zeppelin album. But Your I choice. feel like, and you know, this is the thing, this album just... My love for it has grown. It's funny because it's an album I instantly loved and in, was instantly my favorite Led Zeppelin album. But that being said, it's still a grower. It's funny because when you think of it an album... a lot like, on there. Yeah, when you think of a grower, you don't think of an album that's your favorite album to begin with. Yeah. But this is kind of both. It's, uh, it's both an album I instantly loved and was my favorite. And yet, it's grown. It's like, I now thinking about this. I was thinking this about this today this is actually yeah i would say right now in 2022 i would say this is my second favorite album of all time all After, right yeah my top album's never gonna be knocked off the pedestal that's what is AC, that that's powerage acd's oh, Power. great choice for a number one yeah powerage will always be my favorite album but there was like some big albums that got knocked down a bit, you know. I, uh, Iggy and the Stooges, Raw Power, Aerosmith, Rocks. You know, I had a Black Sabbath Volume Four. The, uh, you know, so, so I had a few like big albums that kind of got knocked down yeah. by Physical Graffiti. Um, the White Album by the Beatles. Uh, that, that got knocked. This is, down. It's funny you say that because this is like Led Zeppelin's White yeah. Album. Yeah, so it makes sense that this would be my favorite album by Led Zeppelin because my favorite Beatles album's the White Album. But yeah, I think I mean this is the thing is like yeah, the, I, I think there's two tracks on this album that aren't as great as everything else, but I still like them better in Revolution Nine and Good Night. So because of that, I give this the edge. <laughs> I gave this the edge. I was like, there's actually this is a little more consistent. Just because just for the record, it, I love Revolution Nine. I love how creepy and weird it is. I yeah. I, Listen, I do too, and it's one—it's kind of like what Led Zeppelin's catalog is like for you. It's like if I haven't listened to Revolution Nine in a long time, you know. And obviously, if I listen to the White Album on vinyl, I listen to it all the way through. Yeah, I can't listen to Revolution Nine like on its own, but like in the context of the album, I love it. I love that weirdness at the end. It works in the context of the album if you listen to the full album as a kind of ending. But you know, I don't think of it as a song. It's kind of a. I feel like um, the the album, the song part of the album ends with "Cry Baby Cry," you know. Yeah. And, and Revolution Nine's just—it's a cool experiment, but it's not something I want to listen to all the time. 
Whereas physical graffiti, I can always listen to this from beginning to end all the time. So I or you can pick it, songs from it to listen to. Yeah, you, I think, yeah, also, yeah, I think the songs work better on their own. And it's just, it has, I think, the second greatest production of all time. I think the greatest produced album is Back in Black in terms of just straight-up production. If we're just yeah. talking how an album sounds, the sonics of the album, I think Back in Black's the greatest. But I think this is the second best-sounding record ever recorded. And I don't think he would have had Back in Black sounding the way it did if this album didn't sound the way it did in 1975 first, you know? Dude, even, like, even like when I was, like, like really not a Zeppelin fan, wasn't it, Led Zeppelin Hatred, I do have to agree with you that, like, Jimmy Page is, like, a really great fucking producer. Yeah, most- and it's... Yeah, people don't really, like, they think of him as a guitarist, but they don't, like, most people don't yeah. really know that he produced all these albums. And there's, it- like some of the best produced albums. I actually think a big reason why Led Zeppelin is so popular and why people keep going back to generation after generation keeps rediscovering these albums, I think a big part of it, it's like George Martin with the Beatles. I do think it's a production. I think Mm -hmm. uh, Jimmy Page's production, not to say that the musicianship and the songwriting's not all stellar, but I will say one thing, and I don't think the Zeppelin snobs maybe you know adequately uh, you know, conveyed this to you but i do think if it's one thing that does elevate zeppelin kind of above a lot of rock bands even really good ones it's the production you know mm-hmm. jimmy page just fucking produ- produced the shit out of these albums it's funny too because when you see like the band or like a member of the band self-producing their stuff usually it's like because of money like yeah. you know kiss because like you know we're talking about this is led zeppelin's white album you know we talked about Hot in the Shade was Kiss's uh, shite album. I think they... Did they self-produce that shit? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, uh, you know, most bands, when they self-produce, it's because of money. Because, like, I learned from my friend Ian Wadley from the Rock and Metal Combat podcast, the producer gets paid first before anyone else. So a lot of bands will do that to, like, save money. But no, Jane Page is doing that because he knows what the fuck he's doing. Yeah, and he you know worked with some talented people, and, and he know. was like a popular session musician too. Oh yeah, throughout the sixties, he's you know he played some songs. I didn't even know this until he played years on with later. a little help from my friends by Joe Cocker that song you that cover you love so much. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I like the music. You know, uh, actually, I, I, yeah. you just don't like that. You don't like a white homeless man trying to like croon the blues. <laughs> just, uh, it's just, uh, yeah. It, it, I just, I. I listen to it and I just think take a shower. <laughs> uh, but the, but the music's fine. I like the music. I like the guitar stuff. He also him and John Paul Jones together, who was also a session musician. Yeah. They, they played on a couple of Donovan's key songs. Um, Season of the Witch, great song. You know uh, that song? I uh, I'm not familiar with Donovan. I, I the only thing I know him from is from uh, I know he like was friends with the Beals and like was with them on that trip to India, and I know he did background vocals for um, uh, Billion Dollar Babies by Alice Cooper. You probably heard a couple of his songs in movies. They get used a lot I feel in so. I, yeah, I'm sure he was ours, like, if I heard some of his songs, I'd be like, oh, I heard that, he does that? I'm sure you heard Season of the Witch. It's been used in a couple movies. It's a cool track. You should listen to it. It's a really cool track, and that's you'll hear, like, Jimmy Page and John Paul, Paul Jones on it. And yeah, so they they you know they played on a couple key singles in the '60s, and that's the thing that really I think was magic about Led Zeppelin is you got it's like two different sides. It's like John Paul Jones and Jimmy Page are these like slick London guys who are like seasoned session musicians 
who knew exactly what they were doing, you know. And, you know, Jimmy Page uh, was pretty much handed the Yardbirds after playing with him for a couple of years, and then they imploded, and then he was like the last man standing, even though he was one of the last guys to join the band, and it becomes his band. So, And they were a huge act in England, maybe not so yeah. much in America, but in England, the Yardbirds were huge. So you have these two, like, really kind of prominent, you know, musicians from London, and then this is the this was part of the the magic of Zeppelin. Jimmy Page discovers Robert Plant and John Bonham, who were these two blokes from the country. They were literally like it's the English equivalent of hillbillies. They were like from a rural like that's you know the album the famous um, painting uh, that's the cover of Led Zeppelin Four, the man with the yeah. sticks. That's like from some little shop in the country that Robert Plant, like where he, you know, he, he was familiar with this area and they recorded, you know, out there and uh, they recorded, you know, the three and four albums there. And so they were like these rural guys and they knew each other and played in bands together, John Bonham and Robert Plant, but just like little pubs, little pubs, you know, in the, you know, the North country, like of England and Yorkshire and places like that. And Jimmy Page discovers them. He discovers them. He plucks these guys that no one knows anything about, but like, it's like, wow, you know, it's fucking Robert Plant and John Bonham. Gets them into a studio post-haste, you know, immediately. They play some gigs as the New Yardbirds. They're not even Led Zeppelin yet. And they get into a studio in like, you know, late 68, early 69, and they knock out the first Led Zeppelin album. It's like, it's like the ultimate sneak attack. You know, like no one saw this coming. You know, it's funny because Jeff Beck, had put together, who was also in the Yardbirds, and at the time was the bigger guitarist. He was like yeah. more well known than Jimmy Page, and he got a pretty damn good singer. He got fucking Rod Stewart. You know, he had Rod Stewart, <laughs> he had Ronnie Wood on bass. Like he, he had put together a pretty good band. But it's funny, and he goes out first with his album uh, Jeff Beck's uh, Truth, the Jeff Beck group, and it's a good album. It's a good album, but then fucking Led Zeppelin comes out, that first Led Zeppelin album, and it's just like, uh, I can only imagine Jeff Beck was just like, fuck! <laughs> <laughs> like, that's it. No one's gonna be talking about my van. And that's more or less what happened, you know, a few years later, you know, and then Rod Stewart becomes a bigger star on his own, you know? And, and Ronnie Wood, you know, later joins the Stones, you know? And Jeff Beck, you know, obviously a very respected guitarist, mm -hmm. but but yeah, they just like, he. no one saw it coming, but that's the thing is, because Led Zeppelin was a real group. The thing about the Jeff Beck group is, it was Jeff... They just grabbed like the be these best musicians and whatnot, and yeah, and know, they just, Led Zeppelin was more organic. It was more organic, they felt like more of an actual band, and, and there was the songs, like, you know, like Jeff Beck wasn't a songwriter. Like, they did mm -hmm. a lot of covers and things like that. And, you know, Jimmy, and even though initially they were, like, taking a lot from old blues and folk songs. Yeah. <laughs> but they were picking really great blues and folk songs and really taking them to other levels. Like, if you listen to that original folk version of Days and Confused, I mean, it's like night and day. I mean, it's like, like Ralph Vieira said, it's like, you know, all these songs, like, Led Zeppelin ripped off. It's like, yeah, Led Zeppelin took these songs and they made them fucking better. Yeah, they No one would everything. know about these songs if it wasn't yeah. for Zeppelin. So they took it, and they, even on the first album, there are still some original, really bold statements, uh, some amazing songs, like Communication Breakdown, Love and, it. you know, uh, Your Time's Gonna Come, 
And there are there are definitely it's not like all just old blues and folk songs, you know. So it's it's clear how Led Zeppelin out of the gate just fucking why they blew everyone away. Like Black Sabbath too. This is a thing too. Like now there's a lot of snobbery maybe connected, or when you were a yeah. teenager, there's snobbery. John Paul Jones, uh, Ian Wadley yeah. in the Physical Graffiti episode, or <laughs> one of the Led Zeppelin episodes they did of Rock and Metal Combat. He mentioned in the box set, like, it was, like, around, like, Zeppelin 3, John Paul Jones made a statement, like, oh, when Led Zeppelin 3 came out, it was so great, because then people finally stopped comparing us to Black Sabbath, which I, I thought was kind of rude. It's like, get off your fucking high horse, man. Like, yeah. Black Sabbath, man, is right up there with you guys. I never made... Well, you know what? John Paul Jones made that comment. Nothing again. Very talented guy, John Paul Jones. Oh, I agree. Very, very talented. But, but... All I can say is Jimmy Page wouldn't have made that comment because Jimmy Page loved heavy metal music. Actually, yeah. he, he was the least actually. He was the least snobbish of the bunch. Well, I mean, John Bonham too. If he had oh, John Bonham too. Yeah, Jimmy yeah. Page and Bonham are my favorites. Yeah, Robert Jimmy Plant's Page. probably the biggest asshole too. Yeah, Robert Plant doesn't like heavy metal, uh, and, yeah. and he actually, when they did their reunion tour, he he insisted that they wouldn't do some of their heavier songs. He didn't want to do the heavier, darker stuff. And John he's such an asshole about playing Stairway to Heaven, too, and it's like, fuck you, man. Because it's satanic. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, John Paul Jones, you know, he was, like, more into classical music and stuff. Yeah, because you know, he almost quit during this. Yeah. Uh, when they were making this album, they had some turmoil. He wanted to leave the band to become, like, a choir master or some shit. And they, yeah. they're like, listen, you need to just, we just need to take a break. You need to relax, and then we'll regroup and come into the studio and make this album. I do think that contrast is one of the things that made the band great, and it added other elements. In a way, yeah. the fact that John Paul Jones and Robert Plant weren't as into heavy music as Jimmy and John Bottom, I think added something. Yeah. yeah. But at the same time, yeah, they're not all that snobbish. Like I said, yeah, like I said, Robert Plant, I think, is probably the fucking worst. And he's like, he's always the guy, too, like, anytime these movies... They're, they're like these movies that yeah. want to use Led Zeppelin music. He is such a fucking asshole about it. Like Richmond High. And also, too, for those of you listening who aren't on our Facebook page, uh, Edwin looks exactly like Mike Damone. So if you think <laughs> of the joke from earlier, that's what it is. But he, he's yeah. the reason they couldn't use uh, anything from Zeppelin Four in that movie. Yeah, I think uh, there might be deeper reasons because of the the pack with Satan and all that makes him uh, weary of that. But he yeah. also he is kind of snobbish. He, you know, he kind of in the eighties, and I'm like not a big fan of Robert Plant's solo as well. Oh, his solo yeah. shit sucked. I don't, you know, and it's just, he kind of got into this thing where he started to kind of fancy himself more like Sting or Peter Gabriel. Like yeah. he's not like like he's above this kind of music. You know? Yeah, but. But in the seventies, he was singing it, and he was doing a fucking great job. And he, he blew was his voice out, great- though. If you notice in the late seventies, oh, yeah. by like in through the outdoor, man, he could barely like sing like those high notes. It's tough. I mean, look, yeah, Brian Johnson even blew his voice out, but he yeah. still made it work. But he blew it out. It's tough to sing that way for so long. Like it's very rare that you have someone like Rob Halford who's able to kind yeah of doing it. And but. There was like, yeah, like I said, I remember reading that quote when because I did have that box set that John Paul Jones said, and yeah, I never liked it. But I, I could say this one thing though: this is that I do think some of that also came from the fact that because they weren't respected, that that's the thing at the time. Like the critics shit on oh, yeah. Zeppelin just as much as Black Sabbath, <clears throat> even you know, and they did not they like treat them with any respect. They like even critics even, hated them. 
even when they got into like Led Zeppelin four and stuff, it was more like, yeah, I guess this is the best album they ever did. But you know, that's not saying much. Like there was this real begrudging attitude towards Led Zeppelin critics. They were not a critic's darling at all. And even like in England, like you know, they were like Black Sabbath. They were more popular in America first. Yeah. They, yeah. Both bands, their first albums, it was like very similar. You know, and within a year, uh, the both debuts just took off like wildfire in America. There was just something about Led Zeppelin one and two, and the first two Black Sabbath albums that really connected with working class people in America. That were yep. kind of like sick of the hippie shit, but yet wanted to rock and roll, you know? Yeah, fuck and, the hippie shit. And I feel like, like they, you know, that's what created the heavy metal subgenre. Is it's Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath, because Deep Purple was never quite as big in America, and although yeah. they would probably be part of that trifecta, I would say from that period. And like I said, the critics didn't really respect Zeppelin. Now, like, critics are, like, easier on all this stuff. Like, even Sabbath, I think most Rolling Stone critics would say good things about now. But there was a look back in history, it was a totally different thing. But this kind of, uh, this this going back and kind of thinking of Zeppelin and canonizing them, that only kind of started in the late 80s, early 90s, you know. But in the 70s, Zeppelin was not that a critical darling at all. They were a band for the people. So when you listen to them, remember that. Maybe now critics love them. But in the 70s, they were a band for guys that like driving muscle cars and banging women. and They, 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 <laughs> they weren't a fucking... Uh, they weren't an elitist band, you know, for those kind of people. And even like yeah. Robert Plant and all those guys, they weren't like that in the 70s, you know? So, no, they, they were a fucking band for the people. And this is their fucking masterpiece. Alright, and now let's dig into this fucking album. I'm going to crack open our drink here. And, uh, yeah, so the first song of this album is none other than Custard Pie. Um, Custard Pie, man, really decent freaking mid-tempo uh, rocker. But here's where, here's where you hear, you know, old Eric, the Zeppelin hater. It's not a bad song, but damn, it's just, I don't know. I don't like it as the album opener. I think this is too a reason why I maybe didn't listen to this album as much growing up was because I think this is just not a great song to lead off with. Uh, you listen to other like Zeppelin albums, you know, Good Times, Bad Times, Whole Lot of Love, Immigrant Song. It's like they just they always start off like really strong. Whereas this one, like I said, it's not a bad song, but just not a great album opener. I can see us being the second or like third song on an album. Um, I can't really think of a song that was on this album that would have been a great opener besides this one, but man, just not this one. Uh, but it's a cool song, man. It's real sexy, dirty, you know. Um, an age-old question, custard pie, referring to a woman's, you know, pussy as custard pie, is that sexy or gross to you? I don't know. It's me, I kind of like it because I love me some custard <laughs> pie, so I wouldn't mind getting down on a, a woman's custard pie, you know. Edwin, how do you feel about that? I think it's sexy as all hell. Damn I, right. It made because I like custard too. I don't know. It's like pudding. It's just like it's so good. Sexy. That's actually one of the things I love most about the song is that it's that they're referencing to a woman as being like custard. Mmm. Yeah. Tasty. It's, it's a sexy delicious. song. Uh, yeah. So no, I, I. It's not one of my favorite songs on the album, but I do, I do like it a lot. I, I have a difference of opinion. 
I I respect your opinion. I yeah. and I kind of get it. And I I used to think that a little bit when I was younger. I used to think custard pie wasn't the strongest opener. Yeah, that's what that's what really like I, like I said it's not a bad song, but that's what really makes me like not like it as much is just the fact that it just doesn't seem like a good opener. You might change your mind though because I eventually changed my mind on it. I mean, looking at this, it's kind of right. Like you can't open. I think some people would probably go to cashmere, but you can't open with cashmere. You can't too open much. cashmere. It's too, much, too much. Too much to start with. It's too much. Too much. You can't <laughs> blow yeah, your load a, too early. Yeah, it just it would actually make every other song sound kind of weaker after. You can't open with cashmere. It's just too much. <laughs> and and looking at it, the only one song that possibly you could open with is maybe the Wanton song. Maybe. Oh, well, I'll get to my opinion about that song but, later. But I, I still, I don't know. I just, I think that it doesn't really set up the album as well. I, I think Custard Pie kind of is the opening track for a reason, almost by default. You kind of go through all these tracks, and it kind of serves. I feel Custard Pie is best as the opening. Think about it if it was anywhere else on this album. It just wouldn't like. It's kind of similar. I referenced the song before as a kind of opening track that's not like the best song, but kind of sets up the album well. It's ACDC's "Rising Power" on Flick of the Switch. That's where a good point. You got this mid-tempo track that's not necessarily the best song on the album, but it introduces the sound of the album to you and like the vibe of the album. And it's like it's a confident opener. Both cases. Uh, Rising Power and Custard Pie, they're kind of like what I call a confident, not trying too hard opening track, where it's like, this is it, this is what the album's going to sound like, this is the tone of the album, this is the groove, and, you know, just, you're going to stick around, right? You know, it's Led Zeppelin, (laughs) hold your horses, we're going to get to some awesome fucking songs, like, we're just kind of setting you up a little bit. It's like, this album's very sexual. I talk about this a lot in my video. Oh, but yeah. It's sexy. I mean, it's a very sexy and sexual album. And it's like foreplay. Like, you don't come out with your fucking wanting songs and cashmere's and, and what have you. You don't come out with them right out of the gate. You come, you don't back. come right away, basically. <laughs> yeah, it's like... You don't but, like to moan it. Yeah, but, at the, yeah, you don't want to shoot your load too fast. And at the same time, you can't, you can't open with a ballot, you know? So what are you going to open with? You're going to open with a mid-tempo cock rock song. And when you think about it, all these other songs, like, it just, yeah, it has to be customified. It just has to be customified. Yeah, it's, you can't come out, like, you know, blasting your load right away. You got to rub zippers first. You got to dance first, you know? Yeah, and I think Custard Pie is the song that benefits most by... It's track listing. Like, it, it makes it better because it's the first track. It's the first time you hear... Like, imagine, like I said, Rising Power. Imagine if Rising Power was, like, I don't know, the fourth or fifth song on Flick and Switch. Yeah. It you make a be, good point there. It wouldn't, be so, it wouldn't be so hot. But it, but because it's the first song you hear on Flick and Switch, it has, like, yeah, it has that sound. And Physical Graffiti just has this fucking awesome production. So it benefits the song and i think it's the best choice as the opening but i did used to think the way you thought but no now i think yeah it's got to be custard pie it's just mid-tempo straight up no nonsense cock rock song it's it's kind of funky it's kind of rocking and it's and it's sexy and it kind of just gets the party going and then it leads into the second track let me take this one the rover and the rover Further justifies Custard Pie as the opener. 
Because it's like you set them up and then you knock them down with the fucking rover. That's the thing. Because the rover is better than Custard Pie, in my opinion. And it just, it gets darker and sexier, meatier. And it's just that great drum beat in the beginning. Fucking John Bonham. And then that guitar sound with Jimmy Page goes in the bang, 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 bang. It's this badass serpentine kind of guitar line. And it's just so catchy and dirty and, and deeper than even the first track. It's really just a badass tune. It gets into that chorus. It's a little, a little metalish, a little heavy metalish. And but it's just like everything. It's like cock rock. It's metal. It's blues. It's funky. And I love the Rover. It's one of my favorite tracks on the album. And I, you know, ultimately, I really love the sequencing on this album. I think it's perfect sequencing. And the Rover is. Like I just I don't think the rover would have been as good as a first track. I think it's better as a second track. Just kind of mm-hmm. like yeah, now now we're getting into it. Like Custard Pie sets us up, and the fucking rover is now taking over. So what do you think of the rover? Holy shit, I love the rover, man. Probably one of my favorite songs on the album. Um, this is one I always loved, no matter what. You know, even like even like when I first heard Zeppelin, when I didn't like Zeppelin, I always fucking loved this song. Um, and it's funny too because this song was a you know because there's a lot of leftovers on this album. A lot of this is like you know when they first recorded this, they had like enough albums to make they had enough songs to make like an album and a half. And they're like, yeah. well, why don't we just take some of these old demos that we didn't use for the previous albums and we make this a double album? And this is one of the leftovers that they had. It was actually a leftover from Led Zeppelin three because it was originally written as an acoustic song, which. I'd be interested to hear that, but man, thank God it, they switched it over to electric because I, I just can't hear this being anything other than like a heavy, like electric uh, song. Just so fucking cool, and it's like there's something creepy about it. I love when you mentioned that in your video. There's something much like the Beatles. There's something like dark and like almost kind of creepy about Zeppelin, like and mysterious about them. Um, or it's not like as outright as like a band like Black Sabbath. It's like it's more subtle, and you hear it in songs like this. Like there's something dark about it, and the song always too like you know the Rover. It just something about remind me of like made me think of like UFOs and aliens. Like I used to this was a song I used to listen to a lot. Like when my mom would drive me to school uh, in fifth grade. Like fifth grade we moved, and she wanted me to finish out my last year at elementary school at the same school before I switched over. Yeah. And so she drove me to school that year, and so we'd always be, like, picking CDs to listen to on the drive there. And this was, like, a frequent one, was Physical Graffiti, and this song just brings me back great memories of, like, you know, being driven to school with some cool tunes with my mom, who's awesome. This is actually my mom's favorite Zeppelin album, so hope she hears this. I'll try and post this maybe, like, around her birthday or something, but shout out to my mom. Yeah, I love hey, this she's, song. She's a cool lady, your mom. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah my mom fucking rules, but... I love this song, great driving song, I can imagine. Something just, like I said, man, just something dark and creepy about it. It's not really even, like, outright. Like, it's it's not like, yeah. you know, certain Sabbath songs where it's, like, you know, outright. It's, like, telling you, like, this is, like, about some evil shit. It's, like, it's just, like, in, like under the music, you just hear something. Like, you're not even trying to imply it or put it out there. It's just something about the music is so dark and eerie. Like, like I said, about makes you think of, like, UFOs and shit. Love this song. Yeah. It's a uh, one last thing I'll just add to the rover before we go into the next track. Yeah, the original version was acoustic, uh, done around uh, the three era, 
But they did do uh, the initial electric version around Houses of the Holy. And that's what they built upon this version. A lot of nice. the, the... That's actually my favorite Zeppelin, is Houses of the Holy. Yeah, I could say... I like, We'll have to do a Houses of the Holy episode. So <laughs> uh, uh, but I love that album, too. But, yeah, the... You know, this is thing, like, there's this question about, like, what's a compilation, what's not a compilation sometimes. And, like, no one considers physical graffiti a compilation, but, or, like, Tattoo You, the Rolling Stones. But yet, they, it's using tracks from different sessions, you know, and putting them yeah. together. And, but I think it all flows. Like, you really, there might be one or two songs that you kind of, like, can kind of hear that it's from a different, you know, um, from different I sessions. Agree. But, but they all work together on But the they all work so. together. They still work together. The Rover's actually not one of them. I, I was actually surprised to find out the Rover wasn't one of the ones from Headley uh, Grange, which is where they recorded all the new physical graffiti tracks mm-hmm. in 1974. I would have actually guessed this was one of the ones that was recorded in 74 because it kind of has that sound. I Obviously, some of the guitar overlays and might, might have been added in 74. But, yeah, I mean, to me, I, I could kind of hear working on houses at a holy i guess but to me it, there's just something really badass about it that has that sound of the 74 recorded tracks but it all works even the songs that you could tell were recorded from earlier albums it all flows the sequencing's great and man again and i'm very jimmy page yeah you know what what a amazing producer i'm gonna just say i'm curious about your feelings on this one we'll get into because i know you're not a big <laughs> blues guy like me yeah like yeah, so so that's gonna be interesting because I'm a big and it's eleven minute song blues song. <laughs> so I'm very curious what you think of that. But I can just tell you, I am a big blues guy. I love the blues, and you know I'm normally not a fan of longer songs, but I think yeah. this song it it works. It's always doing something new in my opinion it's always moving it's restless to me it's the greatest blues epic ever i love it it challenges midnight rambler from the rolling stones and one way street by aerosmith as my favorite all-time blues epic it's an amazing song the and i We'll talk about that live version after you talk about the studio version. Okay. But but in my time of dying, this is this was one that I remember it was part of that box set and it was like I wasn't it wasn't one of my favorite Zeppelin songs back then when I was a kid because I wasn't like totally into the blues yet. I you know I liked bluesy hard rock, but I wasn't like into real blues yet. But you know actually the thing about Led Zeppelin to their credit, the more I got into you know, authentic blues from like the fifties, you know, Muddy Waters and Howlin' Wolf and John Lee Hooker and even some of the earlier stuff like, you know, uh, like Robert Johnson and stuff. The more I got in, in Lead Belly, the more I got into that stuff, the more I actually appreciated Led Zeppelin and appreciated what they were doing. And like in my time of dying, it's like this widescreen technicolor version of like this old black and white version, like blues albums and blues songs to me. And it's like, it's really a band, it's really shows you the strengths of John Bonham as drummer too, because he's just, he's one of the things that's really pushing the song along and yeah. making it really kinetic and exciting. And of course, Jimmy Page's guitar playing, he does these solos where they sound like very hot, like the production, like they sound like the fucking just searing, kind of similar to the production techniques and I'm sure this was an influence on it, on um, ACDC's Let There Be Rock, 
where yeah. Angus's like soles just sound very hot. If you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I know what you're I talking about. I think they like burned one of the amps when they were doing Let There Be Rock. I recall a story where they said one of the amps starts smoke, and it just it just sounds like that. Like the, these solos that Jimmy's doing, they just sound so fucking hot and searing. And even though it's blues, it's a blues rock. There is again a kind of metallic element that makes this kind of like. 70s heavy metal because of just how intense the guitar and drums are and Robert Plant like wailing the way he is you know this is the kind of stuff that you can tell Rob Halford was influenced by it's just it's very intense it's you know to quote Spinal Tap like this goes to 11 this is like this is the blues (laughs) cranked up to 11 like you can't do the blues heavier than this in and have it still be the blues, if you know what I mean. Like, yeah, I yeah, mean. yeah, you can get heavier than In My Time of Dying, but it wouldn't be the blues anymore. Then it would be like Metallica or something. It just wouldn't be the blues. But this is as heavy as the blues can get, in my opinion. And it's it's like, it's an amazing song. I think it's one of the greatest songs ever written. Uh, well, not written because they, they stole it. It's an old blues song. But yeah. it's the greatest <laughs> song ever stolen. <laughs> It turned into something else. Well, they add their stamp to it because this yeah. is like a song that like everyone's kind of taken and like done their own version of. Like Bob Dylan's done his own yeah, version of it. Right. Yeah, it, it all sounds like Kitty Games compared to what Led Zeppelin did. It's like everything was fucking foreplay, and this is fucking. This is now adult. Yeah, fucking, you know. And it's my third favorite song on the album, and it's one of my favorite Led Zeppelin songs. It's also a song. Uh, it's a big jukebox song for me because I like. I like playing. Long. Oh, so you're the guy that plays like the long songs on a jukebox. And everyone's <laughs> like, do. "What the fuck?" Like I put in like dollars like a few minutes. Oh, ago. I love Punks. doing that. I do like "Need Your Love," "Cheap Trick," uh, "Rhyme of the Ancient Man." <laughs> I, <laughs> I always do that. Echoes, Pink Floyd. I always play because I want to get banged for my buck. And then I know for about ten. Hey, at least you're not the guy that. At least you're not the guy at the bar that puts in money and plays uh, "Paradise" by the Dashboard Light by Meatloaf, and then just leave the bar when it plays. Me and my ex, this is just a little side note, but it's by me and my ex-wife, who I'm still friends with and collaborators with, but uh, Kathy Charles, my ex-wife, yeah. we once were at a bar, this bar in the Valley, with Sherman Oaks, which, or uh, Fast Times which my High actually took place, oh, in, nice. Valley, in Valley Girl, that's where I lived for several Love years. Love Valley Girl. Great movie. So we went to this great bar, this great Valley bar, and it was like stuck in the 80s. I love this bar called the Pineapple uh, Hill, uh, the Pineapple Hill Grill and Saloon. Great, I love pineapples. Great strip mall, Valley Bar. And they had a jukebox. And one time we were there, and I went to the jukebox. I put in some money, and I put, of course, it's also my favorite cheap trick song, um, you know, Need Your Love. And I, I put that oh, on. Oh, nice. Yeah, and that, that's a 10-minute song, you know. And I sit down. <laughs> and then Kathy goes over to the jukebox, not knowing what I put in yet. You know, that song didn't come oh, on. Oh, shit. <laughs> Yeah, you see where she this is going. Mad. No, she put it on too. Oh, no, 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 this is what I'm saying. She put it on too. She sits down. When the song comes on, she laughs. She said, "I put the song on too," and I was laughing. I was saying, "So the people at the pineapple have to hear 20 minutes worth of <laughs> fucking cheap trick." <laughs> You know, it fucking starts right to learn something about rock and roll. <laughs> you know, I have a story, too, about I, I have this friend, Kevin Bell, and I hope he's listening to this episode because I know he's not the biggest Zeppelin fan. My friend Kevin Bell, man, there's like this, uh, he lived in Ham- Hampshire, Illinois, which is like redneck central. So, like, everyone there is playing like Luke Bryant and all this pop country shit. And uh, 
so we're, we're, we're at the bar. It's like me, him, my dad. We're all hanging out, and uh, he goes to the jukebox, and he plays fucking Angel of Death. And, like, <laughs> the whole bar clears out. And then it just became a thing he did all the time. He would get so drunk, he'd be like, he'd go up to the jukebox, and, like, my dad would be pleading with him, like, listen, dude, please don't play Angel of Death, because you're going <laughs> to clear the entire bar. Any good-looking girl that we could hook up with is going to leave, so please don't play it. And, like, he just wouldn't care. He would just play Angel of Death every time. And it never failed, man. Everyone would fucking leave that bar once Angel of Death played. That's funny. It's great. Yeah, it's yeah. uh, you got you got to teach people what real rock and roll is sometimes. Exactly for the greater good. So I'm very curious. What do you think of the greatest blues epic of all time in my time of dying? So remember when I was talking uh, about like you know there's some when I first listened to this when like yeah. something, something inside me told me listen to this album again, Eric. Yeah. This is one of the songs where I was like, yeah, I still hate this fucking song. It's long and stupid and boring and just does nothing for me. Well, let's just say um, I took an edible uh, the other day (laughs) and uh, I got high as balls. And like, it was like, I still felt it. Like, I still felt some residual, some of the residual like effects of it the next day. And I'm like listening to music and like I I listen to this album, you know, for research and I got it. <laughs> I listened to it. I'm like, I get it now. This song rules. You know, it's like not a minute is like not one minute is wasted. It's a great fucking song. I think you got to be in the right mindset. I think if you're not in the right mindset to listen to to listen to yeah. like an 11 minute, you know, heavy, dirty, nasty blues song, you're not going to get it. But if you're in the right mindset or under the influence of the right stuff, you will get it, and uh, I got it. And then you mentioned the live; ver- you sent me the live version, telling me to listen to it. Which I, as good as this version is on the album, that live version just blows it the fuck away. It's just it's heavier. Just even that intro slide, how nasty and loud, and just how distorted it sounds. It just sounds fucking evil. That live version blows it away. And like you said, Jimmy Page doing all the weird like hand motions and whatnot like he's putting a spell on the audience and i know richie blackmore used to do that a lot too and i i love richie blackmore i i think richie blackmore is the best guitarist of the 70s like personally and he used to do a lot of that creepy stuff like there's a lot of like there's like footage of gates of babylon that they did where when he's doing that solo and so he's like moving his mouth like he's like casting a spell or something but Jimmy Page does that kind of stuff uh, in that live version. It's just so cool. It just adds to it. And it's just so much louder and vicious and dirty sounding. And I'm not a big fan of the blues either, man. I mean, I don't like Since I've Been Loving You, uh, that song off Presence, T for One. Yeah, you didn't that like those songs. That's why I was wondering. I thought you might this like one this I like. one because it's so heavy, though. That's the thing. This one straddles that line yeah. between blues and metal, in my Like opinion. I said, though, it took me it took me a little bit. It took me a little bit, a couple of listens, and also like some some edibles to to finally get it. Well, that's <laughs> what it takes. That's it. what it takes. Hunter S. Thompson. You said he used to write like an accountant before he did acid. You know, dude. You, know, <laughs> you gotta do what you gotta do sometimes. So yeah, up your mind to start oh, thinking man. right. As long like as said, you start thinking right, that's what's important. Like I said, though, I mean, it was powerful. Like what I that gummy I took, it was like it, <laughs> I had residual effects the next day. Because, like, the night before I took it, because I was at home, I didn't have anything else to do, so I took it, 
had a couple drinks, and I watched Big Trouble in Little China, and holy shit, if you've never watched Big Trouble in Little China High, you need to, because it was so funny. I, I love that movie. It's one of my favorites, but it was even better with, like, the enhancements. Like, I couldn't even watch the final battle, because just for whatever reason, I kept laughing my ass off. We're, we're going to have to do a John Carpenter. Like, oh, we need sometime. to, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, that the, the live performance you were talking about, the one I sent you the, the video for, Earl, uh, Earl's Court, 1975, yeah. you know, supporting this album. And that's the thing. And I think I said this in my video, but I consider that performance of In My Time of Dying specifically the greatest rock and roll performance I've ever seen live. Now, I'm not – maybe there was some stuff that's never been recorded, you know, that I've never seen, you know. But in terms of what I've seen, in terms of what's been recorded – that's the greatest performance I've ever seen. I'm talking both musically and also visually, you know. It's, a, it's, it's everything, you know. And Jimmy Page, what he's doing. You could also see, like, the, the big influence that he had on Angus Young. as Not yeah. just in terms of the, his guitar playing, which you could definitely hear that, but even, like, his presence. Like, again, like, the, the hand gestures, the moving around. There, there's just, just, just like, like the way, like, when you, especially when you watch younger Angus, you know, from like, um, Highway to Hell, Back in Black yeah. kind of air, there's something like he looks generally possessed. Like he's riding around and there's just something very visceral. Like a madman, you know? Like a real madman. And his movements, and it's, there's something really wild and organic about it. Where in later years, even though always a great showman, it feels more like a show in later years. Where then, like it he kinda, felt, it, yeah. it's like at first he was doing it because it was just natural what he was feeling. Yeah. And then later on, it's like he kind of does it because it's expected of him in a way. Yeah. And but you could see like a young Angus, you could see probably like watching clips of this or seeing them in concert, and you could see the influence and just the way Jimmy moves. And then fucking jump on him, and it's just I mean jump on him on this yeah. song, man. What he is perfectly rated as a drummer. Like, yeah, he is fucking amazing. Like I said, John Paul Jones, John Bomb, best rhythm section in all of rock music. I agree. There are you know. Yeah, I, I mean, some people might, yeah, think because he is so, he is rated so highly that, yeah, there are other great drummers that aren't rated as well as they should have been. But, that being said, John Bonham, like you said, he's perfectly rated. To me, he's like, he is the, dr he's the drumming equivalent of Jimi Hendrix. He is yep, the I, Jimi Hendrix of drummers. And heavy metal drumming, I mean, you know, and as much as I love Bill Ward, like, and he's great. And, you know, my, he's my favorite Sabbath drummer, and he's one of my favorite drummers of all time. But, you know, he's playing this jazzy kind of way. Yeah. It's not like John, that, that's the funny thing about, I would say, in a weird way, I say, I feel like Tony Iommi <clears throat> and Geezer are the most heavy metal element of Black Sabbath. And, yeah. and, and Bill Ward adds like that kind of chaoticness. Yeah, he's kind of like, in my opinion, a better Keith Moon. And I, and I love yep. Keith Moon, but I think Bill Ward's better than Keith Moon. But he's playing in that kind of more late 60s kind of jazzy style. Yeah, and, I think... And, and I'll, I'll let you John Bottom, I'm just saying, but whereas John Bottom's actually playing in what would be kind of considered more of a quintessential heavy metal style, where it's just a it's just so heavy and it's a bombardment. And it's not to say Bottom... Bottom did have a swing. He could swing and he could do some really cool jazzy stuff. And actually, he's the only drummer i've ever heard who does a drum solo that doesn't bore me so uh john bonham could do more to, it was more than just that he was heavy but that heaviness is something that should be talked about and i and, and i think that john bonham 
was a, a big element of what made Zeppelin so heavy. And oh, yeah. All those drummers, like even like, you know, Air Carr and like Creatures of the Night and all that stuff. Like, you, you know, like, you know, that, you wouldn't that, have that without Bonham. You wouldn't have that without John Bonham in the same way that you wouldn't have like electric guitar playing without like Jimi Hendrix, you know, heavy metal. Like, he's just, he's, he's, he deserves all the praise. He's one of the greatest drummers. I mean, just listen to what he did like live on Achilles Last Stand. The shit he's doing on those drums. It's amazing. He's one of the greatest drummers of all time. And I think in my time of dying, this and another epic that we're going to be getting to a little bit in a little bit is a great showcase for the power of John Bonham. And when you watch them live, as good as Plant is, it's really the Jimmy and John, you know, Bonzo show. It's like you're yep. even like you're just bouncing between the two and you realize that's really the core of Zeppelin. I mean, yeah, it's the four guys, but when you really get down to it, it's it's Jimmy Page and John Bonham doing this fucking sick shit together. And you even see that they kind of have this interplay with one another, where yeah. it's like John Paul Jones and Robert Plant are just kind of along for the ride, and they're keeping up to their credit, you know? But it's like John Bonham and Jimmy Page are the two that have the devil in them. Yeah. <laughs> and, and look what happens, obviously, when, you know, when John Paul Jones and Robert Plant like completely control an album and get in through the outdoor, exactly which sappy shit. Yeah, exactly. That that's the thing. You know, relax the balls. Yeah, they're the guys. Jimmy and Bonzo are the guys that are bringing the fucking satanic fury to the band. <laughs> yeah, they bring the head. It's you know you were saying before we go into the next song, you were talking about your comparison of Bill Ward and John Bonham. I think uh, Bonham and Bill Ward are like two of the best drummers of like all time i think bill ward he my thing is he's got more of a a technique and like an unorthodox sound to him and bonham has more of the heavier and bonham's like the guy you go to for that sound and like that heaviness and also too like you're saying uh john bonham's the guy we're like let's open more just like a standard rock band and bonham brings the metal to them with that loud just crazy drum sound and then sabbath is the opposite whereas even though they sabbath never really liked to say it sabbath was more of a metal band than zeppelin but then john uh bill ward was the guy that brought like that different style to them that unorthodox jazzy style that made them stand out and made them more than just a metal band so it's kind of like weird how they interplayed with each other yeah, it's kind of like the opposite, like the way they reflect each other that way. Yeah, like yeah, because yeah, Tony Iommi obviously is a more metal-ish guitarist, you know. Yeah, real doomy. Uh, yeah, and but yeah, but the drumming is jazzy underneath it. I'd also say that Robert Plant, which probably to Robert Plant's chagrin, I, I think Robert Plant though is, and it's funny, it's these two country guys. I think Plant is more metalish than Ozzy in some ways. I know. Oh no, see, I disagree. No, I don't mean in terms of image. Obviously, in terms of image and mood and doominess, um, but in terms of what we think of a heavy metal singer, especially a heavy metal singer in the '80s, where it's like, like the screaming, the shrieking. Ozzy was more reined in, and I would say a little more offbeat in a way. And more, like, he just kind of crooned. And obviously, like, by the time he got to Sabotage, he could really do some amazing vocals and be screeching. But actually, I kind of mean this to Ozzy's credit. I'm saying I think Ozzy, I, when you listen to heavy metal in the 80s, especially a lot of cock rock and hair metal and stuff like that, 
I feel like, and even like, you know, like I said, Rob Halford and stuff, you hear kind of a, a plant influence with a lot of the shrieking and the, the banshee vocals, you know? Whereas like, uh, like Ronnie James Dio and all that stuff, I think Dio is like more of a model, following more of the model of Robert Plant than Ozzy Osbourne. And Ozzy's doing something different. He was doing something very unique and was kind of subverting the cliche even before it happened. You know, obviously you have the subgenre of doom metal where, yeah, they all try to sound like Ozzy. But that's like a subgenre that only started to kind of slowly emerge in the underground in the 80s and then kind of, you know, took on a little bit later. But I think for at least a period there in the 80s, I would say that Robert Plant was a little more the prototypical heavy metal singer, you know, up there with jeans, a big fucking cock in his pants, and throwing <laughs> his hair around and shrieking, where Ozzy was this offbeat guy wearing fringe clothes and peace symbols, and and I, I, I just think Ozzy was more offbeat, and you know, that he wasn't a quintessential, I think he became the image because of in the 80s, and biting the heads off of bats and shit like that, like, people kind of think of him as the quintessential heavy metal singer. But I, I don't know. I think he was more offbeat. I think he was kind of like Bill Ward, too, in his way, that he was adding this idiosyncratic offbeat element to it that was not as easy to emulate as I think Plant was in Bonham, who I think kind of were issuing in this more kind of like big drums, shrieking vocal thing. At least that's my take, if you get what I'm saying. That's an interesting point you make there. I definitely always felt like, like I said, Robert Plant, I think it was always the weakest point of uh, Zeppelin. Like, he's probably the weakest link. Um, and I, 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 his vocals are one thing where, like, sometimes he, his voice is really good, but then there are times where I felt his voice just gets too annoying. Like, sometimes some of his high shrieks are just, like, don't sound good, and they're, like, nails on a chalkboard. But then you get to the point of, like, you know enter the outdoor and his solo stuff where, like, his voice is just pretty much almost shot. I and, know like, some really... people think that way. I know my brother doesn't yeah. like that. Like, I, always, I don't know. I always felt like he was a pretty boy and, like, he gets, like, a pass and gets more credit just because he, he has the look of a front man. But, like, I feel like there's other singers that were way better than him. Houses of the Holy, perhaps the most... It doesn't sound like it, but it might be the most evil song on this album. <laughs> uh, House of the Holy was, of course, does, this no surprise. It was from the Houses, Houses of the Holy uh, sessions. It was a House of the Holy outtake. So essentially, it's the title track for the last album. So what's it doing here? Well, they thought it sounded too much like Dancing Days. So that's the only reason it wasn't on Houses of the Holy. And it does sound a little bit like Dancing Days, so I kind of get it. Uh, but, man... Uh, I love this song. In fact, I, I mean, I think I would have preferred this definitely than, like, The Crunch. You know, I don't care if there was two songs that sounded alike. But I'll take it on this album, too. It's funky enough that it kind of fits the groove. Because one thing I think that um, Physical Graffiti does better than the last album, because, like, The Crunch is, like, one of the few Led Zeppelin songs I don't like. But here, I think they really get the funk down. They really do funky music better than they had done before. And House of the Holy has got, you know, but then again, they recorded this from the last album, so maybe they did have it on the last album as well. But I love the lyrics. I love the groove. The lyrics are probably one of my favorite parts about it. And this is like, they actually reference Satan. Satan by name. S-A-T-A-N. From the door comes Satan's daughter. 
and it only goes to show you know. Like, that's the thing about Led Zeppelin that's so deceptive. Like, yeah, there's bands like Black Sabbath who are more, and again, I love Sabbath, and they're one of my favorite bands of all time. So it's not just to Sabbath, but Sabbath is a little more overtly satanic, and also Christian in some ways, depending on uh, the song. But, <laughs> but what I'm saying is that Zeppelin is kind of more satanic in a more subtle way. It's not a very to, subtle way, yeah. Yeah, but like, like you would hear the song "Houses of Holy," and it doesn't sound sinister. It actually sounds like one of the more upbeat songs on the album. Yeah, but. But then they'll toss out a line about fucking Satan's daughter in it. See, that's the sneaky shit. And that's like what real evil's like. Like, Satan's not going to come out and be like, hey, I'm Satan and be all evil. He's going to slip in there. He's going to slip in there in like an innocuous kind of more subtle way. And what's amazing about the song, my interpretation of the song is it's about like innocence lost and embracing that moment. And it's like, it's like they're talking about going to movies and... You know, you're out with a woman and you're having like sex for the first time. It's about like kind of a, I guess you could say innocent corruption and embracing it. And that's the thing, because Jimmy Page, because he practiced the black arts and because he worships Satan, uh, <laughs> he, you know, he sees, he sees this as a good thing. So he, he'll reference it. And that's what I mean. Like, like he'll reference like when Brian Johnson or whatever, like sings hell's bells. It's like Satan's a bad thing, you know? And Bon Scott did it. It's kind of more of a fun, just fun. Like, yeah, it's like a party, you know, it's like a tongue and cheek thing. But Jimmy Page sings about Satan and it's like a deeper, more spiritual thing where he's like, he really believes the shit. (laughs) Like like that's the difference, (laughs) you know? And he slips in Satan the same way Bono will slip in Jesus in a song. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And that's what makes it really sinister. You know, because he just slips it in and like, isn't this beautiful, Satan? Like, yeah. <laughs> and, and, but it, regardless of the satanic lyrics, House of the Holy is a really catchy song. Like I said, I think it would have made Houses of the Holy better to have it on it, even though yeah. I think it does sound a lot like Dancing Days. But, you know, just space those songs out. They don't have to be right next to each other. You know, <laughs> but... It, but it works with this album too. It flows with it. It's a great song. It's a great way to open up the second, you know, record. If you're listening to us on vinyl, and I love it. And it's like a mid-tier song on this album, but a mid-tier song on my second favorite album of all time. It's still a great fucking song. So, what do you think of Houses of the Holy? Houses of the Holy is another song that, like, I did not like at first. And then it was, like, after listening to it a couple more times that, like, I really got into it and it became a favorite of mine. And it was it was left off of, obviously, it was a leftover from Houses of the Holy, the album. And they kept it off because uh, it sounded too much like Dancing Days, which I feel like you've mentioned because of what yeah. you were saying. Yeah. Uh, honestly, I feel like this song should have been on there instead of Dancing Days because I think this is a stronger track than Dancing Days because they do sound very similar um, but I think this is the stronger song. I think one of the things that helped me kind of get into it and like like it was when I found out what it was about. It's about like you know places where you you, you have sex and lose your virginity, like when you're a teenager, because it brought back memories then of like being a teenager and you know just all you want, all you have, all you care about in the world is like getting laid. You know you didn't have a care in the world, you didn't have bills to pay this or that. So like all you want to do is just get find some hot girl and get laid, you know, just, and that's such a cool fucking theme for a song, and yeah, you're right too that, like, there's something dark about it, 
it's not like you know a Sabbath song where it's like outright being like this is a dark song. It's just it's just something you hear. It's just something about the music, the way it's delivered. There's something just like hidden in it. There's something secretly like evil about it that you only kind of like faintly hear, and that's what makes it like just so cool and so badass. Uh, but man, what a great fucking song, House of the Holy is. After such a long, dirty, bluesy epic, it's great to have, like, this song in there to kind of balance out, like, the dark and the light, even though the song has a little bit of darkness in it. Yep. Agree. I mean, I actually, I do prefer Dancing Days, but, but only slightly. Oh, yeah, I, that's one of my favorite songs from House of the Holy, but, like, you know, I, like I said, they could have spaced the songs a little bit apart. It, it still would have been better than the fucking crunch. That's all I know. Oh, uh, I hate that song. It's, uh, but, but, you know, at the same time, hey, it works great here. So, you know, it's all good. And it's like, there's a fun history of title tracks that aren't, you know, on the album. You Steph know, Leopard did that with uh, On Through the Night. On Through and the Night. There's other bands, too, that did that. Yeah, Waiting for the Sun, The Doors, uh, showed up later on Morrison Hotel. Uh, if You Want Blood, You Got It. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. They, 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 so it's got it's like kind of fun. It's I don't know. There's something fun about the title track not being on the album, but then the next album. But anyway, so next is um, this is another one that I, I have no idea how you'll feel about. Because um, I know, although you like some funky stuff, I know you're not as big into R&B music as I am. Now, we, I mentioned The Crunch, whereas I think The Crunch was their failed attempt at be, doing like a James Brown kind of funkier uh-huh. song. Whereas I think here, they succeeded. I think they kind of like got, like, they really got funky on this album. Uh, they not only got heavier, they got funkier on this album. And Trampled Underfoot, although I wouldn't say one of my, even though I would say this is probably the, the second... Yeah, I'm looking at the track listing. This is probably the second most known song from the album. Um, mm. There was actually a single for this, too, and they normally didn't have singles from their albums, but there, there was a single for this, a promotional single, when the album came out. <clears throat> but obviously not the big song on the album, which we'll be getting to in a minute. But this is probably the second most known song on it. But it's it's not, it's not like a mid, another mid-tier song for me, kind of like House is a Holy, not one of my favorite tracks. But I do love it. I love where it comes in. I, I love what it's going to set up. And it's funky. you got that clavinet, you know, John Paul Jones. And, man, John Bottom, that's the thing. He's heavy, but he could keep a fucking steady, funky beat, too. That's the thing. Yeah. And I actually think this is one of Robert Plant's uh, stronger moments on the album. He He's really good with the whole shucking and jiving thing. Kind of like James Brown, repeating like a lyric a lot over and over again. It becomes kind of hypnotic. And, you know, it's five minutes and 35 seconds. Doesn't really change that often. Again, they obviously influenced by James Brown. And it, it works. To me, it's just like hard funk. That's how I would describe the song. It's hard funk. It's hard rocking and funky. It, Aerosmith was also very good at songs like this in the 70s. And it's it's a really uh, strong track. And, like, you know, if, if this is a mid-tier song, then... God damn, how great is this album? But anyway, that's what I think of Trampled Underfoot. What do you think of it? Oh, uh, this fucking song. My second favorite song off the fucking album. I wow, love I it. had no idea. <laughs> I Oh, I love this song, man. And it's one of those ones, like, I... Even, like, in my Zeppelin hang days, I always liked this song. Oh, it's just... You're right, man. It's like they... It's like, you know, they failed the first time with the crunch on uh, House of the Holy, like, trying to do, like, a James Brown, like, funky kind of song. And the crunch, like, they kind of failed. So this one, they got it right. Oh, man, the song just rules. It's so 
so funky and, you know, just so great. It's got, like, that rhythm. Like, you can almost dance to this song. But then Jimmy Page is, like, just doing some infectious, like, guitar riffs uh, and guitar licks on it are fucking amazing. Bonham keeps it heavy with that loud drumming. And I agree, man. It's like, you know, like I said, Robert Plant's, like, probably, in my opinion, the weak link of Zeppelin. But there are times where, like, he knows, like... There are times where he knows his strengths and he sticks to his strengths. And this is one of those songs where he just sticks with his strengths. He doesn't overdo it, but he doesn't underdo it. It's just, this song is perfect. I love this song. Can never get enough of this song. It's just fucking amazing. And like I said, man, this is like, I think this is probably like my favorite guitar playing by Jimmy Page, like on this album. Just every, like all these riffs he does are just so addictive. Like I just can't get enough of them. I love this fucking song. Awesome. Like I said, this is one that I wasn't sure about how you'd feel about it. Yeah. Also, yeah, also. And like I said, the, to me, this is one of... I don't know. I'm very curious about the next one as well. Okay, because so, now... I'll take it. We're getting into the the biggest song from the album. The song that yeah, most of the biggest know. songs just in general. Too. I would say this is their second biggest. I would say after Stairway, wouldn't you? I, I think so, man. This is easily one of their biggest... Yeah. Yeah, I think this is, you know, up there. It's definitely one of the songs that most people would know Led Zeppelin by. I don't know. I have to, I probably should have looked at this before doing this, but my guess would be Physical Graffiti is their second top-selling album. I know, obviously, 4 is. 4 is one of the biggest-selling albums of all time. But I would guess this would be the second just because of this song alone. Yeah. I, I, I know it's, it's up sampled there. a hell of a lot, too, which we'll get into, obviously, when we talk about oh, yeah. it. Yeah, okay, so now we're talking about Cashmere. Fucking Cashmere. Song of all songs. Okay, Cashmere's my second favorite song on the album. Nice. Objectively, it's the greatest song on the album. I mean, objectively. <laughs> I agree. For, one thing I will say for Robert Plant, I know I don't agree with a lot of things he says about Zeppelin, but he does, this is his favorite Zeppelin album. All right. And, yeah, he said he's over the years. He's always said Physical Graffiti was his favorite album from the band, and he says that he wished more people that their signature song wasn't Stairway to Heaven, but Cashmere. He thinks Cashmere is better than Stairway to Heaven. And I, as much as I love Stairway to Heaven, I agree. I think Cashmere is better than Stairway to Heaven. Um, and I think Cashmere is probably their zenith, like objectively, like it's the heart of this album. That's why I was saying you can't. You couldn't open. I, there might have been a little bit of a temptation to open the album with Cashmere because it's a very strong track, but it's not. It's just too much. It's like you can't. That, yeah. And in fact, the sequence is perfect. In fact, there was only one song that I thought could follow Cashmere to make it kind of work as the centerpiece, and, and they picked just the right song. But we'll talk about that later, <laughs> and because it's it was a tricky song to follow. It's tricky to continue after cashmere like cashmere in a lot of ways you listen to it and think it's got to be the last song and yes it's the last song on the first record but it's like it's well so much to say about the song obviously like i said it's the first zeppelin song i remember ever hearing in fast times at ridgemont high just coming out of fucking rats speakers you know stacy in the car with him and you know that's why stacy wants to have sex with him hell yeah because he's playing some fucking cashmere it's the one time Damone got it wrong. He said fucking <laughs> before, but not uh Rat had it right. Physical graffiti. Even if it was just fucking it was like the only album he happened to have or whatever. Well I think uh well, well I don't mean to cut you off, but uh I know 
the real reason is because yeah. uh, Robert Plant, being the douchebag he is, he was like, no, you can't use anything off Zeppelin Four, and so they use Cashmere. Like uh, Ian Wadley said in the uh, Physical Graffiti review that he did, I think it works because Ratner, his character was such a fuck-up, it would make sense that he would fuck up and, like, play the wrong album. Yeah. So, like, when Mike Damone says, like, play something off side two of Zeppelin Four if you want to make out the girl, and he's playing, like, Cashmere, because he like, probably, like, fucked up and got the wrong album, so it, it actually kind of worked in a way for the movie. Yeah, I think it worked, and... But yet, like I said, I actually think Damone was wrong. Even though Rat fucked so. up and dropped the ball, I think Physical Graffiti's the sexier of, sexier of the two albums. Yeah, because I can't think of anything offside two of Zeppelin Four as good of an album as it is that would be as sexy as like Cashmere. Yeah, when the levee breaks, maybe when the levee breaks. I don't know. That's a fucking song. That's not making out foreplay. Yeah, song. but yeah, Cashmere's yeah more about setting the mood. It's perfect. It was the perfect choice. Rat picked the first perfect choice without knowing it. You know, yep. I, I agree. I think he fucked up, but yeah. his fuck up was the right thing to do. You know, it got Stacy fucking hot. Stacy, oh, Stacy Hamilton, wow, <laughs> fucking sexy man. Yeah, I mean, she was already halfway there because that girl just fucking wanted to get laid at the yeah, end. Yeah, dude. She was, you know, selling her wild oats. You know, she's fucking guys in fucking ballparks and all kinds of things and pool houses. Just <laughs> fucking, you know. DTF. Yeah, man. She was down for it, man. I love me some Stacey Hamilton. Like, Phoebe Case, like, I love me some Phoebe Case, but, you know, people sleep on Stacey Hamilton, man. God damn. Like, so Phoebe Case character, she wasn't fucking you. She was fucking pining away for some college guy, you know? Yeah. You know, you had to masturbate to her, but she wasn't going to give it up. Fucking Stacey's the one that would throw you a fuck. Yeah, dude, for real. Uh, anyway, so Kashmir, such, I even as a little kid, I knew it was a sexy <laughs> song, and it was something about it, and, you know, I remember when I eventually got the box set, yeah, it, it was all about, like, wow, Cashmere, I was always, like, just in- mesmerized by the song. I had kind of a similar relationship with Eleanor Rigby, like, that was one of the first Beatles songs I remember being kind of hypnotized by, like, yeah. ooh, there's something dark and different about this song you know and cashmere was like that like i just knew i couldn't put it into words as a kid but i just knew that there was something kind of dark and it just it made me feel things that's all i know <laughs> and, and it still does this is thing there's like no burnout factor there's something about cashmere whenever i hear it and it's like it's perfect after trampled underfoot it's like you have this fun funky track and i love how cashmere just comes on with that fucking cymbal crash and it's just like instantly cashmere it's instantly like this epic song you're just instantly transported to like this desert plain somewhere you can hear and again this is not a song that you would call heavy metal but it is a heaviness to it there's a heaviness to it and from dio i feel like dio and no disrespect to dio but i feel like dio based a lot of his overall aesthetic musically on this song, you know, of course you have Stargazer, and everything he did with Sabbath and even afterwards in Dio, I feel a lot of it has this vibe. It just has the vibe Stargazer of Cashmere. Definitely, yeah, yeah. Star- yeah. And, and I think also, like, you know, you got songs like Desert Plains and a lot of things, Judas Priest. There's just an atmosphere. And even I would say Thrash, like Metallica, there's kind of a quality to a lot of Thrash music. It's not obvious, but you might know what I'm getting at. There's just something about the song that's dark and heavy, 
and epic that you can hear it influenced all those artists. You know, all these artists in the 80s and 90s and even into grunge, you know, Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, like all this stuff, I can kind of just hear Cashmere in all of it. You know, this just dark, probing, restless, relentless song. And again, got to bring it back to John Bonham. John Bonham, he arranged the song with Jimmy Page. A lot of song, people don't know this. Like, this song essentially is written musically by Bonham and Jimmy Page. They yeah. got together, and, like, John Bonham kind of arranged it with him. And you can hear, like, during the whole parts where it kicks into that other part where it gets a little more Middle Eastern sounding, like, if you listen to, like, the drums, the drums, like, leading everything. And he's, like, he's, like, both holding down the rhythm and soloing on drums at the same time. And he's crashing around, and he's, He's bringing, just like he did with In My Time of Dying, he's making the music move. He's making it fluid. Whereas it's like, actually, in this song, it's like the opposite. It's like Jimmy Page is the rhythm. He's den in it, den in it, den in it. Like, you know, that one of the greatest riffs of all time. Him and like the orchestra, even the orchestra that's coming in that's just mirroring the guitar playing is the rhythm. That's it's like. Also, I would say hip hop, and yeah, well, you'll talk about the people, <laughs> but but oh, good hip hop, like even like the like we're talking good hip hop, like Public Enemy, Wu Tang Clan, like I feel like even that's inspired by Cashmere because it's this relentlessness, like the way the Wu Tang Clan, like RZA, would sample strings to be kind of menacing sounding, then yeah. like kind of in it has that vibe, and it's like Jimmy Page is like kind of creating this menacing thing that's both kind of hip hop and heavy metal in 1975. But John Bonham is the one that's kind of going to town and kind of soloing around it and kind of giving it like this fluid quality, making it move like 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 uh, winds on desert sands at night, you know. And it's a mystical, magical song. Everyone's bringing their A game to it, but you know, I just. Ultimately, it's that riff, and it's fu- fucking John Bottoms doing. But you know, Plants—it's one of his greatest vocal deliveries. You know, Bob, you know, and John Paul Jones contributed. You know, the string—you know, arranging the strings and yeah. And, and it's 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 an amazing song. It's a high mark moment in rock music. This is the thing too. This is to me, it's like one of the greatest album, tra- like album tracks like because it wasn't technically a single but it almost like instantly i imagine was something that like you know a, you know album oriented rock was probably playing instantly i'm sure on in 1975 you know ever since i was a kid i remember hearing this on like rock radio so it's it's like it epitomizes album oriented rock it's the heart of the album it's one of the greatest dark nighttime driving songs you could ever fucking yep. create and it's a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece, like fucking Picasso. You know, it's a, it's a masterpiece. And that's what I think of Cashmere. It's one of the greatest songs of all time. And somehow it's my second favorite track. So what's that say for the song that's my favorite? But it's it's one of the greatest songs ever written. What what do you think of Cashmere? Cashmere. You know, when I was listening to this album, and then when I found out we were uh, we were going to end up finally reviewing it, this is like a song I was kind of like almost hesitant. I was like, do I really need to hear Cashmere again? Like, I've heard this song thousands of times to death. And then I was like, you know what? I, I got, I owe it to myself to listen to it once. Listen to it. And it's like, I, I gotta listen to this song. If I'm gonna listen to this album, I gotta play this song. Cause it's a fucking amazing song. It's played all the time for a fucking reason. 
this song is fucking amazing. Um, it just, you know, there, there's a reason it's so good. And again, it's another one that has like, there's something creepy about it too. Uh, especially that orchestra. That orchestra is almost like so sinister. Whereas like, sometimes in rock music, if they're using like an orchestra, like sample, like if they have an orchestra in the background, is to try and add like some lightness and like something beautiful sounding. Whereas here it almost sounds sinister and kind of evil. They yeah. add something dark to it. Uh, like when I hear that, and you hear that orchestra, it's like something about it's just like kind of, it's almost unnerving. Like there's something kind of like dark about it. Yeah, like a horror movie. Yeah. Exactly. It's just so evil sounding. And man, like this is a song though, Sally, that's been sampled so many goddamn times. Uh, I know fucking Puff Daddy or whatever the P. Diddy, Sean oh, Puffy Nipples, horrible. whatever the hell his name is. It was for a shitty Godzilla movie, too. For a shitty like Godzilla a, movie. It was a double American incel. Godzilla movie. Oh, oh I God. hated that shit. It pissed me, me off. And, oh, how... Jimmy Page, like... Uh, oh, he, what, he what the hell is the money, thing? I guess. I guess. He needed yeah, the money, apparently. God damn. Uh, I don't know. Maybe serving Satan is expensive. <laughs> yeah. And, and to this day, too, it's still sampled. Like, I remember, like, a while back, like, one of the Super Bowl... One of the previous Super Bowls... It was like Shakira and like Jennifer Lopez or something, which uh, that was a great halftime show if you press the mute button. <laughs> uh, the music was shit, but the women were sexy. Um, that was one of those halftime shows. Like I watching it, it was like all this music, like pop music, hip hop and shit. And all of a sudden, like somewhere in the middle, like they used cashmere. And I'm like, that's fucking cashmere. And it's just like, it's. It, it's so good, though, that even people nowadays, like these rap artists, who I'm not really a big fan of, they know that's, like, a catchy fucking hook. They know this song will, like, sampling this will, like, make their song that much more popular. It's just so good and just... It, it's one, It's a phenomenon. It's uh Or, what's that word? Anomaly. Yeah, not every the, band is going to write a cashmere in this lifetime. Similar to the opening drums of like when the levee breaks, like it's it's yep. a moment where Jimmy Page and John Bottom create something that's both modern metal and hip hop, you yep. know. And they did it in the seventies, you know. That's what made them geniuses, fucking geniuses. Well, that's good. Now I know I can definitely trust leaving my wallet out around you. <laughs> oh yeah, you can't deny Cashmere's amazing. You may get burnt out on it. Don't get me wrong, because I was definitely burnt on it. But man, it's a great fucking song. Interesting, and they also bought amazing performances of it live. If you've ever seen them, when like uh, yeah, when they played it, like they fucking Neb- delivered this live. And to me, Neb that Nebworth '79 yeah. show was really not one of their greatest shows. I, but I they, like Jimmy Page was definitely like not like in the right frame of mind for that. Robert Plant's voice was totally blown out. But man, when they did Cashmere, though, that's like the one bright spot of that performance. So it was like, man, they nailed Cashmere. I agree. I think that that was definitely the best moment from that show. But yeah, that that performance is amazing. Of the fact that they made it sound that good with just the four guys just yeah. really says a lot about their talent. Yeah, they, yeah, put it across live. Okay, now we're going into the the third side. You know, the second <laughs> record. If you got the record, and I do. I don't, you don't actually have vinyls, right? You don't have records. I I don't have this vinyl. My mom does, and I I got a point. I gotta mention this too because my mom will my mom will listen to this episode and she'll love that I mentioned this. 
my mom used to have an issue because she's the oldest of all her siblings. Uh, she used to hate it when like her, like, uh, my uncle Ronnie or like my aunt Debbie would like borrow her albums or listen to her albums without her knowing. So, you know, this album, it had like the thing where you could flip the, it had like the sleeve. Cause it's like yeah. the buildings and like there's the different images in the buildings. You could flip the album over to different like images for the buildings. Yeah. Well, she actually put like these significant like mark, she put like certain markings on the pictures. So that way she knew if someone took her album out, she knew if like someone touched it because she had like these certain markings on <laughs> certain windows to know like, uh, you know, to know if someone else messed with it and put it in the other way. So. Yeah, uh, I like yeah. that. I, I like how o- I like how OCD your mom is. Yeah, cool. she didn't want anyone touching her records without her knowing, so she put it's like cool. little markings on like the certain pictures, so she knew if someone fucked with her albums or were listening to them. That's another thing too. It's a it's a good uh, time to mention this. I think it's the greatest album packaging of all time. I yeah, because and they did something similar with uh, Zeppelin three because my dad had oh, Zeppelin three on vinyl. That's and it was the like a pinwheel thing. <laughs> yeah, pinwheel's the second greatest. I mean, that's another thing. Led Zeppelin had the best album covers and the best album artwork, and it, it's amazing. They're, the the packaging itself is a work of art. Yeah, and, and you know it's amazing, and, and it really works well too. Actually, having because I have a reproduction, you know, but the reproduction's made exactly like the original. Yeah, and and, uh, and, and the, it's it's really convenient the way they make it. It's it's like you take it out; it's really well protected. The sleeves really actually well protect the actual vinyl, and it just it looks great. It looks like this three dimensional like work of art. That's why I have mine displayed. You know, like you know, when I show pictures of my record collection, I it, this is one's always out. <laughs> it's amazing. It's a work of art. Anyway, it's so we beautiful. get to the, the next side, and like I said, I think you know, and Jimmy Page, he knew what he was doing, and they were thinking about like how do you follow Cashmere? They need a song that tonally kind of takes you from that world. It's like they need a slightly less great cashmere. <laughs> like yeah, that's what they but need, one that can know? still keep your interest, though. That still keeps you in that vibe. Still keeps you in that vibe. And that's where In the Light shines. In the Light's perfect because, to me, it's the only song that could follow cashmere. It really is because it keeps up with that kind of Middle Eastern vibe. It has that comes in. It's sinister sounding. It's kind of dark and sinister. But it kind of takes you. it kind of takes you from the darkness to the light. That's the interesting thing about the song is it's like it's called in the light, but it's actually a really dark sounding song. But yep. then it gets very euphoric and bright towards the end. You know, when it goes into the chorus, the in the light chorus, it suddenly does become very kind of hopeful and bright. And But before that, it's like straight up doom metal. You know, when it goes yep. into like the first verses, the dan, 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 and it's a really... You know, and even the way pl- plants singing, it's just very dark sounding and it's very doomy. It sounds very Black Sabbathy. It's a very doomy song. And then, but then it takes you into the light. It's a, it's a perfect way to begin the second side. It's a perfect way to take you from the dark desert plains of cashmere, but into maybe more thought, like kind of almost, I would say this is like this side of the album. The third side is like the ballad side. And it kind of takes you there. It takes you there from the other, more lecherous, darker first disc and takes you into the ballad side perfectly. It's like the White Album. Amazing sequencing, which in itself is a character, a character of the album. And I love this song. This was a song, actually, I wasn't so into when I was younger. I couldn't really get into it. Oh, for, a lot of, 
for, for the same reason why I didn't like a lot of those George Harrison songs, you know, I just, you know, with the exception of Cashmere, you know, I wasn't so into stuff that had more of, I guess you could say, Middle Eastern vibe. But You I'm, never made love to an Indian woman, though, that's I, why. I, I did, but I've grown, I have grown to appreciate that kind of music more in recent years. And I just really grew to love this song, and it's awesome. It's actually one of my favorite songs on the album now. I really love it in the light. What do you think of it? So this is a song, like, when I listened to this album, this was like one of those songs where I was like, I did not remember this song at all. And I, I think, too, like, I also, I think I confused it with uh, In the Evening, because they both sound very similar. Yeah, from, they kind of in Outdoor. And I'm not, yeah. spoiler alert, if we ever review N3 Outdoor, I am not a fan of In the Evening. I don't like that song at all. I think that's probably why I avoid the song. And oh, the you must you, hate that album because that's one of the I better songs. I can't that album. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we're gonna have to review that one in the future now. Yeah. Uh, but in the light, I think the other reason too I maybe avoid it was because the intro. I think the intro is a little too long. Like it just drags on too much with the the keyboards. The man, when I listened to this song, it blew me the fuck away. Um. I know I probably said this about another song on the album, but favorite song on the album. There's a couple on here that are really damn good that are in competition as my favorite. This song, like, when you get past that intro, which I feel maybe drags on a little too long, it's a killer song. It's basically Zeppelin trying to do Sabbath. It's real doomy sounding, and even, like, Robert Plant with his vocals, it's like he's, like, kind of mimicking, like, Ozzy's style, and it's so fucking cool. Like, I could see this being on Volume 4 or Sabbath Blaze Sabbath, but yep. the thing that makes it stand out and makes it a Zeppelin song is that twist. The twist yep. that uh, Jimmy Page adds when he adds that real happy-sounding guitar riff, like, in the middle and at the end. Yep. It just, like, it, it's like you said, it's so dark, but then it has that, like, the light. It's almost like you're traveling through hell and you're fighting your way through hell to find the light at the end of the tunnel to, to reach heaven. That's what this song is like. It's like you're just in this the pits of hell, and you're crawling your way out, and then that guitar riff hits, and it's like you're finally in heaven, and like you you made it out of the wasteland. Just such a cool fucking song, and I love that happy riff too. It's just such a. It, it reminds me of the ocean, where it's almost like two songs in one. Um, you know, and th- that riff at the end so good. It reminds me of like the Wonder Years and that Joe Cocker cover that you hate <laughs> so much. It, it reminds me of that. Just such a phenomenal song, and what a good way to start off side two. Because yeah, like you said, Cashmere is a tough song to follow up, but Zeppelin didn't really disappoint with uh, following up Cashmere with what a what I consider probably easily one of the best songs off this album. Would you say it's your favorite? Can you say definitively what's your favorite song? Man, because I love the Rover a lot. And then there's another song, too, that I'm looking at my notes. I I also said was my favorite on the album that comes up pretty soon. Okay. I'll put you on. Yeah, it's it's close. It's close. It's cool. Yeah, I I thought you might like this one because I know you like George Harrison Beatles song. So I actually. Oh, yeah, because I made love to an Indian woman in the past and it was amazing. And so it opened my mind. And you, you know, and the doomy Sabbath type stuff. So, yeah, I thought you might like this one. So that's not too surprising. But I'm glad to hear you like it. So, yeah, moving on. And then, you know, we're not going to probably talk much about the next song. It's just more of an interlude. Kind of almost like something's. Sabbath would do. It's like those uh, Tony Iommi acoustics. Yeah, exactly. Oh my god, I love Braniar. Oh, I fucking uh, love it. I love it too. And 
It's yeah, it's perfect. It's like they go to the light. So now we got the serene beauty of it. Of course, this evokes like their stuff from Led Zeppelin three. And it was which, supposed to be on Zeppelin yeah. three too. It yeah, one uh, leftovers. Yeah, and you know what? It's like need it more here because it's a lo- double album and it gives another shade. Like whereas like, you already had that shade throughout three, but here it's kind of it's just a perfect coda from in the light and setting up the next song. Yeah, it, it's just a little perfect, beautiful moment, and 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 it's one of the things I love about seventies albums, you know, and like even the late sixties, like with the White Album, you know, and the Black Sabbath albums, like those interludes. It's just that's that's the art of an album, you know, like yeah, it's just a track on an album, you're never gonna hear it on its own, but it's just it's what makes it feel like you're listening to something that's just bigger than just songs, you know? Yeah. This is like one of those comfort, I call it like a comfort song. There are certain songs where like, man, if I've had like just a really shitty day, a really shitty week, um, like whether in the past or like even like nowadays, if I just have a really shitty week and I'm just like feeling like shit mentally, this and like, uh, there are a couple other songs like Rainbow Eyes by Rainbow. It's just a song like, man, I'll just like clear my head and, like, maybe sit outside or something and just listen to this song and those other songs that I mentioned. You know, it kind of helps me just, like, relax and just, like, forget about all the shit that happened and just try and, like, calm myself. This is just such a beautiful, beautiful fucking song. Just, I think it's some of Jane Page's best guitar playing is on this song, this beautiful acoustic piece. Yeah, it's beautiful. And it segues perfectly into... Down by the seaside. Now, down down by the seaside is one of my favorite songs on the album. I can't say where it is exactly. Maybe fourth or fifth. It's up there. It's not one that I mean. I always liked it, and it was like one of the few songs from this that wasn't on the that box set. I mean, I think pretty much everything that was on the first disc, except for actually, I don't think the Rover was. Everything but the Rover was on the that box set. And half of what was on the second disc was on that box set. But this wasn't. So, But this was one of the songs I remember thinking, ooh, I don't know this song so well. It's like one of the few songs that, from Zeppelin you won't hear on the radio much. Although, I think people would love it if they did. I think it's very accessible. And But over the years, this is one of those grower tracks. So over the years, Down by the Seaside is like one of those moments I look forward to on the album. It's... Very unique. Doesn't sound like anything else Led Zeppelin has ever done before or after. They said it. Jimmy Page says it was inspired by like Neil Young, Harvest. I, I kind of hear how it was. It's not an obvious thing. It doesn't sound like a Neil Young song. It doesn't sound like country folkyish, like the way Neil Young does. But it, I guess it's more about the vibe. It does have that kind of early Southern California kind of folk vibe to it. But musically, it's very English and very different sounding, you know. And just, it makes you, again, like like the way the last track makes you kind of feel serene and you can think of nature like this makes you, it puts you someplace. It puts you down by the seaside. And it's just, it's this wistful, beautiful little pop song. And this is one of the things that elevates Zeppelin and makes them like, yeah, they're like the Beatles. They can do music like this. And it's, the production's perfect, the, the the vibe of the song, but then it does that, again, that kind of shift in mood when it hits that bridge part where it gets a little more rockin' and a little funkier and a little darker, 
And that's my favorite part of the song. It's like, yeah, you know, and it gets into it and it gets a little more sexual. <laughs> and it's just like, yeah, now, think, now it's going down, down by the seaside. And it's the, the different shades and the different moods. It's just, and it's yet so organic sounding. Like, I can't even imagine sitting down and like writing down by the seaside. It just sounds like it just happened. It's an amazing song. One of my favorite Zeppelin songs. And it's the kind of song that, like, I would play for people who, like, if they like pop music or jazz or, like, country music or different kinds of music and, like, only knew, like, the hits from Zeppelin, this would be, like, a song I would play for them and see, like, hey, like, you might like this. But it's an amazing track. This is another one. I'm very curious to hear what you think of Down by the Seaside. Oh, man, Down by the Seaside. This was uh, just another one, man. I... I used to hate this fucking song. I used to hate it when I first, when I listened to this album, it's like one, like I made her like 10 seconds of it. And I was like, skip, hated it. Uh, but then I was like, I need to, when we were going to review it, I'm like, I got to at least listen to it. And again, like I listened to it, did not like it. Listen to it again. I'm like, okay. Um, it, it's a depressing, kind of a depressing sounding song. And maybe it's, and then I realized, like, this isn't a bad song. It's a really great song, but it's just like, it, it's hard to listen to almost because it's just, it's almost, it's very depressing sounding. Um, there's like another Zeppelin song like that, that like, I, I think it's a great song. I don't hate it, but I just, I can't listen to it because it's so hard to in really? Tangerine. Tangerine, like, oh. I, I love, I think it's a great song, but I just, I can't listen to it because it's just, it's really depressing, and I don't know why, like, I think it's just because it was in the movie Almost Famous, and, like, in middle school and, like, elementary school, like, summer break, um, the last, like, the last couple of weeks of summer break before school started again were kind of, like, almost depressing because, like, I would stay up late watching movies, but, like, my mom would want me to start going to bed early to get ready for, uh, you know, so I could get ready for school, basically. So, like, I didn't have a hard time falling asleep the first night where I had to wake up for school. You know, like, all the parents would be kind of, like, adamant about, like, all right, no more sleepovers these last couple of weeks because we need you guys to, like, get back on that sleep schedule for school. So, like, the last couple of weeks for summer would be kind of, would be kind of tough because, um, would be kind of tough because, like, you're just kind of alone. You couldn't hang out with your friends and you knew school was starting up. You couldn't stay up late and party all the time. And, uh, you know, so I'd watch a lot of movies, and Almost Famous was one that I was watching a lot one particular year. And the movie ended with Tangerine. And, man, something about that song just brings back those, like, you know, end of summer end of summer vacation blues, you know? And yeah, I, uh, I like that feeling. I like feeling depressed. I dive into Yeah, it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's one of those things. There's another, it's funny too, I, there's a Taylor Swift song I love, but like I can't listen to. Um, it, there's a Taylor Swift song I really like, but I can't listen to because it legit makes me like fucking cry because it's, it's so depressing. But this is one of those songs, man. It's, it's a depressing song, but it's still like really good. And it's almost like I love it, but like it's real hard to listen to sometimes. It's like, uh, again, it's like Jimmy Page, man, what a amazing producer, because it has like this, it's like this weird, like, trippy, like, hazy sound. Like, it almost sounds like they're recording this shit underwater. There's something about it, it's almost like unearthly, uh, the production sound. 
And it's really good. It's like almost like kind of like a. It sounds like one of those old timey like country songs. You know, I don't know if you got that vibe from it. It sounds like an old timey like country song. It's kind of twangy and like even it like the song gets kind of heavy. It sounds like the depressing like you know old time country songs. But, but it's a great great song. I love it. But it's it's like pretty depressing. Like it's one of those ones like you know I can't always listen to it just because it it'll put me in like kind of a sad mood. You know. But the ocean's a little like that, and that's the thing. It has that vibe. Like, if you ever, like, just kind of look at oh, the ocean's different for me. Well, I, I don't mean, like, it depends when you go to the ocean. If you go to the ocean, like, maybe it's because I'm from the northeast. You go to the northeast, and it's, like, off-season. I'm not talking about the summer, when it's, like, crowded with people. But if you go to, like, the boardwalk, the boardwalk, like, in Jersey, and it's, like, around November... There's something really eerie and kind of sad about the beach. That is that kind why of, the vlog is your favorite John Carpenter movie? It might be. It kind of, yeah, yeah. It kind of, there's something, it's about like, have you ever been to like an amusement park when it was empty? No, sadly yeah. no. I haven't. Yeah, it, it, I wish. A, there's a vibe and the beach is a lot like that. There's just something about a beach and ocean when you're by yourself and there's, or just with a few people and there's no one there. There's not like kids running around and people jumping in the water. There's something about it that something makes, dark. Something dark that makes you feel like like it's infinity. Like I'm facing the universe in infinity. And there's a touch of that, I guess, to this song. And that might be what's bumming you out. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't sound like it's a great song, but man, it's yeah. just like I can't. It's not something I can just listen to constantly. It's but, like, but because it, it'll like just kind of put me in that like kind of like bluesy like kind of feeling. Yeah, well, that's it. Well, don't listen to a lot of Neil Young because that was the influence, and that's what like half of Neil Young is like. <laughs> it's has that vibe. Has that vibe? All right, but let's move on to. Well, I'm curious what you think about this song. Oh man, man ten uh, years gone. All right, ten years gone. I did you guess or or did you remember what my favorite song on this album was? Because I, know, I don't remember because it's been a while since I've seen that video. Was it Ten Years Gone? Yeah, Ten Years Gone. Oh and, shit. Is my favorite song on the album. Mine and too. Mine too. There you go. I was talking about like, oh, there's a song later that's like also like I, think I had a feeling. Song. I had a feeling because you weren't disappointing me so far. So I had a feeling. I had a feeling. Now I know. <laughs> not not only do I trust my wallet around you, I would hand you my wallet and, <laughs> and trust that you would hand it back to me with all the money inside. I mean, not that I actually keep money in my wallet anymore, but my credit card. <laughs> Uh, I don't even have credit cards. I have debit cards. I don't. I don't believe in credit, actually. But that's a whole other story. But you're a credit um, denier. <laughs> I don't. I, I don't want to fucking owe anyone anything. As yeah. it is, I have you're on that bill that Mike I like, or whatever that guy's name's. You're on his system. I don't like the fact that I have to even pay the government, but they fucking strong army and force me to like the mob. So yep. I got to give them their collective, you know, their collection money every year. I don't like that. So the last thing I'm going to do is also fucking own things to a bank or a credit card company. <laughs> hey, I like to know what I got. Like I look at my bank account. That's all I'm saying is and I know if I'm in the black room. In, in, or I'm in the red. I don't like that shit to be like fuzzy. I don't want to. If if there's a <laughs> month, hey, if there's a month where I can't buy vinyl because I don't have enough money, then I just fucking go and make money until I have it. You know that yep. that's the way I like to live. I don't want to be in fucking debt to anyone. That being said, so <gasps> I would trust you with my debit cards. <laughs> All right, because you because you know ten years gone. This is it. I think objectively, Cashmere's the greatest Zeppelin song. But subjectively, this is my favorite 
And it's also objectively one of their best songs as well. But this is my favorite. To me, you know, what people say about Sarah to Heaven, this this is the song for me. This and again, nothing against Sarah to Heaven. But Ten Years Gone, I got it's my favorite Zeppelin song, period. It's one of my all time favorite songs, period. I guess it's like a top five song for me. And there's something about I always love this song. The first time I heard it was on that box set and, you know, blew me away on the box set, even as a teenager. But it's one of those songs that as you get older, you know, you go through yep. life and, you know, you get knocked around by life and, you know, you lose people. Get your people heart broken, man. Get your heart broken and you go through things and breakups and especially you go through divorces and things like that. Then 10 years gone. Yeah, it's just it only gets richer as you get older. You know, it's a. Yeah. Incredibly rose on you. Yeah, you can only imagine the way you feel about it now, Eric. You'll feel even more like ten years from now, fifteen years from now. Oh, I, I got some stories about this song, so yeah. Well, when I get to it, yeah, it's just it's and it's like it's a long song. It's it's actually not one of the longer ones on this album, but it's a long song. It's you know it's six minutes and thirty one seconds, and just uh, talk about. I think I mean all everyone again is bringing their A game on this album on this song. But I think this Jimmy Page like is the the VIP of this song. His yep. guitar playing, oh my god, his solos. He this is like where it's like he's more than just a blues man. He can do all this beautiful angelic soloing. That's yep. just it's like this is kind of like stuff like the way Miles Davis plays a trumpet. Like he's just singing. Like Robert Plant's singing, but Jimmy Page is singing just as much on his guitar. You feel I mean, all the emotion solo. through his playing. All that guitar solos. These guitar solos are so emotional. It's so important. And you can hear too, like so influential. Like all that, all those use your illusion ballads, you know, Guns N' Roses. It's like you can tell, like this is like where they, this is what they were all thinking about, you know, what Slash and Axel were thinking about when they did stuff like Estranged, you know. Nowhere near though as yeah. good. Yeah, and I, and I love Estranged, but nowhere near as good as 10 Years Gone. This is like, you know, the original, the originals, the originators are always the best. And it's just like, this is one of the most, this is like the very definition of a power ballad, but before it got, that phrase got weakened. Like, this is a ballad with power. It's powerful. You know, it's a pet, and the way it rocks out, and then the chorus, and it implants, you know, some of his best singing in that chorus. It's amazing, you know, and, and it's, it's one of the most beautiful, powerful, passionate power ballads ever written. It's one of the greatest songs ever written. One of my favorite songs. It's another song that, like, throughout this album, there are certain peaks that I anticipate. Like, I go, ooh, this is where Cashmere's coming up, you know? And this is like, ooh, this is 10 Years Gone is coming up. Like, like you know, and that's, it's just like, it's always, as much as I love Down by the Seaside, one of the things I also, just in and of itself, but I get excited because I know 10 Years Gone is going to be afterwards. Like, it's just like, I anticipate. It's like when you watch yeah. an epic movie and you go, oh, that next scene's gonna come up. Soon. Yeah, like all the buildups, like all the buildups, so good it makes like the the climax better. Yeah, and that's why this album is very sexual. The way it moves and the peaks and the valleys and ten years gone. It's like you know you could argue you can almost end the album here and it would have been great, you know. But again, then that'd be three sides and that'd just be weird. <laughs> and, <laughs> and even though I do think the side four is the weakest of the. Four sides. It starts strong. 
It starts, yeah, it starts very strong. And, and you know, in a way, you kind of need to just catch your breath after the first three sides. So it kind of, it's like, it, it, kinda, it all works. And we'll talk more about that when we talk about side four. But, man, is this, if, if Cashmere is the dark heart of the album, this is the bright, emotional heart of the album. And it's, it's one of the most beautiful songs ever written. And I get choked up. I'm getting choked up just thinking about this song now. So what do you think of 10 Years Gone, which is also your favorite song? <laughs> like it's also my favorite song, the album. I mean, oh, holy shit, man. And the good thing about this song is that this is one of the few Zeppelin songs that I never hear on the radio and I never hear anyone talk about. So it was like almost like hearing a brand new song for the first time when I heard this. And, oh, I mean, and it was written by Robert Plant about, you know, you know, a girl that he was with, and she basically told him, like, it's either either me or your music, and he was like, see ya, you know, yeah. and, uh, but man, it's just like, the the pain, you just, like, through his singing, and like you said, too, Jimmy Page's, like, emotional playing, like, you just feel the, every, like, heartbreak, you hear the pain with every note and every lyric that's sung, it's just, uh, Man, like, I mean, if if this song doesn't make you feel anything, you've obviously never been through, like, a hard breakup or pain or, like, you know, a divorce. Um, it's just, man, it, it reminds me of, like, my uh, my ex that I was talking about in, like, the rat, ep- in the rat episode, uh, Nini, this Asian girl, you know, that this Chinese girl I met, you know, and, uh, I mean, uh, you know, I was, like, it was, like, my first, like, true love, man. I was in high school, and I was just, like, truly in love, man, and uh, came down to, you know, she, uh, there's two other guys she had been talking to before she met me, and she she was like, I truly love you, you know, like, I don't care about the other two guys, you're the one I want, but she was coming to America, and she had already agreed to go visit this other guy that she was, in, that she had been talking to first, and it kind of just really like upset me and like i it finally came to a point where i was like either you see me or like we're done and it ended right there man and uh i think she tried getting back with me at one point and i said nope you know and i've had a couple moments where like i've taken back girls that broke my heart and i kind of regret it because it's like i should have just been i should have been strong and been like nope you you fucked me over once you you know that's it you're done but that was one of the few times, man, where I had the strength to say, like, listen, like, I don't care as much as this hurts. Like, you know, you, you did me wrong once. Like, I'm done. That's it. You know, and, uh, you know, uh, you know, sadly, you know, I don't know whatever happened, happened with her. You know, I know she kind of hit some dark times. So we still kind of talked to each other afterwards. Um, she like went through some dark times, man. Got, when she moved to America, she kind of got involved in the wrong crowd and got, doing drugs and whatnot, you know, and, uh, you know, I've moved on with my life, I'm happy, deep down, I love to just know, like, I hope you turned out okay, I hope things worked out for you as well as they worked out for me, you know, like, I want that closure, but man, this is just such a beautiful song, and this is a song I'd probably, probably could have helped me out through a time like that, when I was going through all that shit, it just, man, it really hits you in the heart, you know, I think anyone can relate to it, because everyone's kind of had everyone's had that breakup or they're gonna have that breakup in their life where it just really kind of it really hurts you it really tears you down you know and you feel it with the song the emotion in the song it's just so beautiful well said well said 
Moving on to side four, the final side. And like you said, it does start off strong uh, with the first two tracks uh, on side four. And this one, it goes back to Led Zeppelin IV. It's an outtake from Led Zeppelin IV, actually. Night Flight. And you can kind of hear it. It's like the one song that does sound a little, like, earlier. Um, especially kind of the way Robert Plant's singing, too, sounds a little more like the early 70s and the mid-70s. But it's a fucking awesome song. And it's a great way to begin the, the last disc. And it's still, like, it doesn't sound, like, so out of you know, it, it's like still 70s Zeppelin, but you can, if you're like a hardcore Zeppelin fan, you can kind of hear that this is like early 70s Zeppelin. Um, but it, it still flows. It's it's again, it's in in terms of like what happened before, like 10 years gone. Night Flight's kind of a perfect song afterwards. It kind of gets you because you're in this like more meditative, uh, deeper place. And then Night Flight's just this really fun, euphoric upbeat rocker and but yet kind of spiritual so it's not it doesn't sound like superficial coming off at 10 years gone but it just sounds like a spiritual fun upbeat rocker and this is one raffier talks a lot about about like he's surprised this isn't a bigger zeppelin song and i have heard this a few times on classic rock radio but not as much and i do agree not me I have heard it a few times. I fucking Philadelphia loves fucking Zeppelin. Let me just tell you. That. <laughs> so I so I did hear Night Flight occasionally. I even heard Ten Years Gone sometimes. But uh, Night Flight, I do agree. It should, I'm surprised it's not an even bigger song because it is really really catchy and it does sound like like yeah. In that sense, it kind of makes sense that this was around Led Zeppelin four period because like every song was like a classic rock staple so it's funny too because if it was on Led Zeppelin 4 it probably would have been played on the radio more <laughs> you know that's the funny thing about it but um but yeah Night Flight it's it's a really tuneful really melodic song shows that Led Zeppelin can knock out this really perfect catchy rock song in just three minutes and 36 seconds and you know and that organ's great and the, the sound of the guitar Jimmy Page's guitar which I think he's playing through a Hammond organ amp, if I recall reading about that one. I think one. so. I read some like yeah, that, too. Yeah, which creates that really unique sound. And actually, that sound is one of the things that makes it kind of blend in well with physical graffiti, because um, there's just a quality to it that's almost like a proto-synthesizer. It just makes it sound a little more modern than other 71 songs. But anyway, great track. What do you think of Night Flight? It's a pretty good song, man. I mean, it's not... It's not a bad song, but I think it's just unfortunately had the displeasure of following up like what was that like fucking like five fucking like just classic songs. So obviously this one, you know, as good as a song as it is, it's gonna sound like a little inferior because it just followed up like five of the fucking best tracks on the album. Um, but it's a great song, man. I like it. Like the organ's pretty good. It, Almost kind of reminds me a little bit of, like, uh, Steppenwolf, like Magic Carpet Ride. Kind of gives yeah. me that kind of a vibe. Yeah. Uh, it's a great song, though, man. It's, like, a fun song to listen to if you're driving or if, like, you're at a party or something. It's a fun little tune. Like I said, it's 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 an okay song. It's just, like, I think it it's positioning. It's just, it's following up so many, like, just amazing, like, classic fucking just epic songs that it just kind of almost, it just seems inferior, you know? It's like the... It's like your least favorite blowjob that you came to. It's still pretty damn good. It's just it had some tough competition. 
All right, fair enough. Well, now I have a feeling this is one that we'll both agree on. Oh, you're going to hate me on this one. Uh oh. Uh oh. I, I heard you talking a lot of great things about this song. Oh, I'm surprised. All right. Well, you've already, you've already made me feel safe. Okay, I might not hand you my wallet now, but it could still, <laughs> it could still be in the same room with you. All right. So, yeah, okay. I, I'm surprised because this is like the most heavy metal track on the album. Oh, man. So here's, I, I guess I'll take it first, man. I'll, I'll yeah, explain it. Yeah, the this is like the most metal song on the album. Oh, I just, I don't like the song. It does nothing for me. Really? It's not, it's not horrible, but it's just really not good. Oh. Uh, whereas the last one, I feel like it's a decent song. It just has tough competition fall. This one, I just feel like no matter where you put this on the album, it was gonna, it just wasn't gonna do anything for me. It just sounds like a filler song. This feels like the point of the album where they're like, alright, we need three more songs to make this a double album. They're like, fuck, let's just shit something out real quick. Uh, you know, Richie Blackmore ended up taking this riff. He ripped it off and, like, used it for Lay of the Lake. And honestly, Richie Blackmore took this riff and made a better song out of it, because I think Lay of the Lake blows this song away. Um, I don't know, man. If you remember our Doors episode, you know how I am. I think it's just the fact that, like, I don't like songs with food in it, you know? <laughs> Except for, like, Custard Pie. But well, that's, that's the question. Is this, is, for me. Is, is this the wonton song or the wonton song? I don't know. Do I you, thought it was the wonton song. Because here's the thing. I love I've wontons. Heard, I've heard different people say different things. Some people say the wonton song. Some people say the wonton song. So I have no but fucking I, idea what it is. I'll tell you what, man. I love, like, I hate this song. I, I do love me some wontons. I'll eat the but fuck out of some wontons at a Chinese like, restaurant. I like it more if it's about wontons. I love wontons. Uh, I don't know. I still like food. Like, unless oh, it's like a punk it. band like the Ramones. I don't like food in like, mixed with my music. I just oh, well, that's like fucking it. riff. That's like one of Jimmy Page's Yeah, but Richie Blackmore took it and made it better. Yeah. No, I, well, I disagree. I like that song. I do like Lady of the Lake, but I... Oh, I, Lady of the Lake, that's song. I cool. like it. It's a good... But, oh, this is better. Come on. I mean... Da-na-na-na-na. And it has that production. And then the thing he does, which I love, which is very similar to what Tony Iommi and Sabbath were doing around this time period, like Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, is it gets jazzy. It gets, like, surprisingly jazzy. Which is the thing I love about mid '70s Zeppelin and Sabbath, is that like Sabbath, bloody Sabbath, like it's like this really heavy. And let me tell you, for '75, this was like as heavy as it gets. You know, da 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 da. It's very heavy, but then it goes into that bam, 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 and it gets all jazzy on your fucking ass, and it starts swinging. Oh, it's fucking awesome. And this song was so influential. Not just Rainbow, but then you got, like, Living Color, like, Cold of Personality. The last decent Aerosmith song, which was a song called Legendary Child, pretty much ripped this off. It's it's one of the great fucking riffs. I don't know. I almost feel yeah, this like... this song swings all right. It swings its uh, fucking foot in my ass. Oh. I bet... I have a feeling... I think if this song was earlier in the album, you might actually like it more. I think... Oh, I, I think you get... Dude, I, I think, think you're, you're I think you're getting, I think you're getting some fatigue here. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, because there's some good songs on the end of this album, so it's not fatigue. It's I, I like the song... And it's just like, and the thing is, I don't get it because I love wonton. I, I love Asian stuff, man. I love like egg rolls, wonton. This is the sushi, biggest surprise. This sushi. Is the upset. It's I love good, it's Godzilla, have, Asian women. It, it, I love Big Trouble in Little China. Bill this Lang. Is, this is the biggest upset of them. I'm so surprised that you don't. This yeah. was, 
I would have. You had to know, though, some of my Zeppelin hatred would a little bit of it would come out. I didn't. Think, I thought people were like, oh, no fucking Boogie and Steel. I didn't think it feel the what? Oh, I got some things to say about Boogie with Steel. Actually, I'll take that one next if you're done talking about the Wonton song. Yeah, just one last thing. The Wonton song's great. It's a top five song on the album. Jesus Christ, it's awesome. But but you know, there's like three songs I like better, but it's awesome. And and Eric's crazy. But that being said. Tell me about Boogie with Stew. <laughs> I fucking love Boogie with Stew. I oh, love it. I would not have told that. I would have thought you would have liked the one. Oh, no. no, I love this song. I, I've always loved it too. Like it's a short, it's a short song. It, like if it was any longer, I'd probably say like, yeah, you know what, bad choice. But it's just the right amount of time. This song, and again, credit to Jimmy Page for his amazing production, because basically like their take on like a, a it was like a Richie Valens song. And it's like, it sounds like it was made in, this sounds like an old 45 from the 50s. It's not like someone just stopped the record and put on like an old, like, like 1950s, like 45 of like Richie Valens. Cause of the production, it just sounds so different than the rest of the album. And I think it's so much fun. I love the fact that like you get this nice little break from the album and you get like this, this short little like rockabilly, like kind of old timey, like 50s rock and roll song with that old school production sound, like, I love the drums too. The the drums. It's weird because, like you're saying, the music itself, the piano and the vocals sound like something recorded like in the fifties. Yeah, like it looks the, something but, I'm listening to an old forty-five from like the fifties. Yeah, but the drums, it's the opposite. They sound very modern and they're like hip hop drums. No, for me, the drums sound like really like it all sounds like someone's like banging on some trash cans or something. Like someone just made like a makeshift drum set out of some pots and pans and stuff because they have like a very weird sound to them yeah well it sounds like i guess what i'm saying it sounds like a sample it sounds like it sounds like old drums but being sampled like if you heard like more of a raw underground kind of like wu-tang kind of record and they're playing an old record and like looping the the weird drum sound like that's what it sounds like to me it just it sounds there's something about it that's both ancient and modern sounding about the production and and that i do think it works on this album you know it goes back to zeppelin 4 um but i think it kind of flows with it just because it's kind of both ancient and modern sounding at the same time it's a cool it's not one of I, I don't like i don't like it as much as you but i do like it it's a nice segue track that's better than fucking wontons oh, no, you're crazy you're crazy but but you know what it's all right you, <laughs> you deemed yourself enough that you were allowed you, you got one get out of jail card so there you go that's the wonton song that you get out of jail card <laughs> uh, but you know boogie stew's cool too it's a little cool city it, 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 it's obvious that the album's like right this is the thing too that's kind of like sex about this album it's like it's like the first three discs are like, like the first disc is the fucking the the third side is like the emotional part, the cradling and loving and looking into each other's eyes after. And you this like the morning after when you're like, oh yeah. shit, I had sex with that. Oh god this damn. Not, I, I would say it's more like the, the, the kind of. Or I, I can't be too crude. Your mom's listening. But let's just say <laughs> this Sorry, is the, this is kind of the freshening up in the bathroom at the end. Yeah, and, like, and then you're about to hit. Up. And then, yeah, you clean yourself up, and then you go get to some food. I get hungry after sex. I, I need to eat the shit done. <laughs> you grab a sam- You grab a sandwich. Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe you put on TV. You start watching some Breaking Bad or something. Like that—that's this disc. The last side of the disc is the okay. We're wrapping up for the evening. 
Like, yeah, all right, let me call, let me schedule an Uber, you know. (laughs) Yeah, there ain't going to be any more 10-year gongs or or in my time of dying as a cashmere. We're wrapping up. We're wrapping up. You you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. (laughs) (laughs) No, you're not meeting my parents. Like, (laughs) this night's over. Night's over. Yeah, it was great. Okay, let's wrap this up. And I don't think any song best signifies that more than Black Country Woman. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, It's... I I like it, but it's yeah. the, it is the weakest track on the okay. album. Okay, I think. I mean, you might think it's the Wonton song because you're crazy. I think the Wonton song definitely is. The <laughs> but but you agree that this is one of the weaker tracks. Though, right? I I agree. This is definitely yeah. like it's kind of a filler tune. It's, it's not bad, but it's not it's bad. Kind of filler. It's not, I actually, it's from Houses of Holy. I actually would have preferred this to The Crunch. So, another song I do like better than The Crunch, though. And, uh, yeah, it's definitely the weakest song in the album, but it fits after Boogie Stew, and it works before the last track. It's, you know, it's all right. It's all right, little ditty. It's, it's, it's a double album. That's the thing. It's like the, you know, you got your, you're going to get some fatigue. You got your like wild honey pies and what have you on the white album. So yeah, you know, and if you're going to have that shit, might as well have it at the end when we're wrapping up. You know, the lights are coming on. It's, it's better than, uh, Hot in the Shade, which was Kiss's white album, or as I like to call it, the <laughs> shite album. Yeah, so where it's, it's all full of wild honey pies and black country womans and wontons. <laughs> so it's alright. It's the weakest song in the album, in my opinion, but it's alright. I like it. It's it's a fine little ditty, and it it sets up the last song where well we'll talk about the last song. But what do you more or less agree with Black Country Woman? What I said. I I agree. It's it's not it's not a bad song, but it's just like it's okay. It's definitely a filler track. Um, like I said, I like it better than the egg roll song or wonton song <laughs> or crab rangoon song, whatever the hell you want to call it. Uh, it, it's funny because I was listening to it. It reminds me of uh, that Cinderella song, Shelter Me, that they yeah. had in their third album. It, it reminds me so much of that. It does a little. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of find it, it's a little fun, though. I mean, I like how, like, at the end, uh, like how, like, the end, you hear them talking and whatnot. So, like, it, it sounds like something like they would have gotten in the studio and been fucking around on some acoustics and whatnot. It, it sounds like a fucking around jam session where they kind of actually come up with a song. I can see Zeppelin doing something like that. But yeah, definitely like the, the weaker song on the album. It's definitely like the the double album fatigue setting in. So we'll go into the next song, Sick Again. What do you, I mean, what do you think of the, the closer, Sick Again? Now, I've heard different people uh, give different opinions about the ending of this album, Sick Again. I love Sick Again. I think this ends the album exactly how it should end. I think after the last couple tracks, like, you want a good straight-up rocker, and it kind of goes back. It goes full circle, like with um, Custard Pie. It's like, okay, we started with just a straight-up, mid-tempo cock rock song. Well, let's end that way. And actually, I like this better than Custard Pie. Oh, agreed. Agreed. It's it's sleazier. Oh, you can hear the influence from fucking Motley Crue and all those hair metal bands in the 80s and Rat, and, like, I could tell, you could tell, like, liked a song like this. It's just so, and ACDC as well, it's just so dirty sounding and nasty and off the cuff, and it's like, you know, it's great because it's like a very unpretentious way to end the album. It's like, you have these epics. I think most people would think, oh, you end with a cashmere or 10 years gone or... In my time of dying, like you end with an epic, and instead they're like, "Nah, we're just gonna end with a fucking straight up cock rocker," you know. And it's it's like things are wrapping up, 
but this is like a great last album. I think there's something Ian Wadley said, even though I think he's one of the people that d- doesn't like this as an ending. But he did say that he thinks a great album ends with a song that makes you want to listen to the album again. That's the trick of physical graffiti and what makes it the greatest double album of all time, in my opinion. Because even though you start getting a little bit of the fatigue of Black Country Woman, Sick of Guy kind of gets it hot again. And exactly. It's, it's like it's like you got the lights are on, you got the girl all dressed and like out the door, you called the Uber, but then you start making out again. And or no, like, it's oh, like or either that or it's like dazed and confused at the end when like the kid he comes home, his mom's just like, Where the hell have you been all night? And like he's like, Oh, it's somewhere and like he just lays in bed, puts on the headphones and like he knows like he had the night of his fucking yeah. life it's and just he like, just listens to some good tunes. He's listening to Slow Ride by Foghat, <laughs> but in another universe, he was listening to Sickened Again by Zeppelin, because it's just like, you know what? I fucking got, I had a great night with my boys, with some kick-ass music, got laid with an awesome chick, and now I'm gonna fucking go and sleep in the rest of the fucking night, rest of the fucking day, and listen to some killer tunes. Yeah, you know, it's like, pr- I just had the greatest night of my life, man. It brings it back home. It's like, yeah, this was it. This is the album where Led Zeppelin had sex with you, and it was great sex. It was. It can remind you of how great the sex was. (laughs) (laughs) And, yeah, it's just a badass. And, again, this is, like, the whole band sounds great. And Robert Plant, like, it's too bad he didn't like this kind of music because he sang it really well, you know, and it sounded like he was getting a swerve on then in 1975. I think this is his best vocal performance because there's some, like I said, man, there's, like, there was a point where, where Plant, like, sometimes would overdo it with his vocals and annoyed the shit out of me. And then, like, towards the end, it was like his voice just was almost non-existent, so blown out that it wasn't very good. Whereas this is like, he's like, he, he takes all the strengths that he has with his vocals and he just uses his strengths. He doesn't try and do too much, but he doesn't, like, underperform. He just, he, like, just hits it right on the mark with this one. I love how it rages out, too. The drums start pounding, like, a bump, 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 like, towards the end. And yep. again, it's just so sexual. It's a hot track. And to me, people that love, if you love 80s hair metal and cock rock and shit oh, like that, this, well, you would this, love this song. You gotta love this song. This is it. This is where it all comes from, you know? Yep. And, and it's just, it's a hot track. So it's cool. I'm glad you like this track because it's always oh, been great. a track I loved. And, and man, let like, tell you, Jimmy Page on this song, man, just goes off. Like with his guitar playing, he's just going off. Like, He's just throwing everything else he has left on has left in him on this song and just like God, just fucking infectious. Like some of the riffage he's doing, just the stuff he's doing on guitar is just fucking amazing. Great heavy tune. I love yeah, it. And that guitar tone. Like especially all yep. the tracks all the tracks that we recorded in seventy four, the Headley Grunge, you know, tracks. Man, that guitar tone. It's just the most bad sounding tone you'll ever hear. It's like up there. It's like one of the great guitar tones, like uh like, you know, Master of Reality, you know, Volume 4. Like, it's just a tone that you listen to it and you're like, damn. And again, you could hear the influence on ACDC. Like, they were like, shit, we gotta... This is the kind of tone that we gotta get on our guitars, you know. And when you listen to those 70s and early 80s, you know, ACDC albums, so Malcolm and Angus, you could tell that they were paying attention, you know. Yeah. You know, it's, not, it's not surprising that their first album was, like, immediately after this album, you know. Like that, they, that guitar tone is like they, they're getting that that really just meaty, fucking distorted, high end, you know, like kind of like hot amp sounding guitar tone, and yeah, it's amazing. So it, yeah, despite disagreeing with uh, that one song, the Wonton song, hey, for the most part, you didn't disappoint me, Eric. I'm very happy with what you had yeah. to say. 
And, and I'm not saying that we have to always agree, but some shit's fundamental. Like I said, I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't trust certain things around you if, you if you didn't like physical graffiti, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm with you on fucking in through the outdoor. But physical graffiti, you know, yeah, you gotta fucking love this shit. Or you don't love rock and roll. That's my feeling. It's like you're denying rock. It's <laughs> denying so, science right there. <laughs> it's fucking rock and roll science. And we'll talk more about that when we do the next one. But we yep. should wrap this up because... Yeah, uh, uh, so real quick, I mean, what song you want to recommend to everyone out there before we uh, sign out? I'm going to recommend an album which I just did a YouTube video for. It's the new album. Uh, I don't, By the time this comes out, well, it'll still be probably the new album from this band by the time this video comes out. It's yeah. The Af- <laughs> Afghan Wigs, How Do You Burn? Uh, it, which actually fits the vibe of this album because the Afghan Wigs, uh, Zeppelin was an influence on them among a lot of other artists. And like Led Zeppelin, they're very into that kind of finding that line where like kind of R&B and rock kind of meet and it's very passionate and I would say sexual music. Whereas one thing, uh, an issue I have, I don't want to go too off on this, but one thing I have with a lot of the later metal is, and we've discussed this before, is they, they kind of removed the sexuality, especially once you got past the 80s. Yeah. There wasn't as much sex in metal. And, and you wouldn't describe African Wigs as a metal band by any means. They're more, I would say, kind of a alternative rock or hard rock band. But one thing they have that even though I don't know how much you would like them, I think they'd be a little gloomy for you, a little too gloomy for you, because they are gloomy, but they're gloomy and sexual. There is a sexuality to their music okay. that, that I really connect with. In this album, How Do You Burn? Like, these guys are in their, like, early 50s now, but it's a, it's a hot album. It's just very passionate. It's very, it's very intense. It's very sexual. I love it. If you love stuff, especially like early 70s stones, like Goathead Soup, like songs like Heartbreaker and stuff, yeah. if you like that kind of darker side of the stones and you like some of these sexier, darker Zeppelin songs, I definitely think there's a chance you might like the Afghan Wigs. Uh, and I think it's their best album they ever did. And I was like amazed because they had two albums in the 90s, Black Love and Gentlemen, that I didn't think they would ever top. And... God damn, this this new album, it's amazing. And it's just great. It inspires you when you hear an older band. It's kind of like when, you know, Judas Priest did Firepower or ACDC does Power Up. It's like, it you know, you get very excited when an older band's like, yeah, we could do an album just as good as our classic older albums. And it's, a, it's an album like that. So I got very excited about this album, hearing that the African Wakes could do an album this good so many years later so if you have any interest in them and if you kind of remember them back in the 90s with gentlemen well definitely check out how do you burn it's my favorite album of 2022 so right there so uh, right. i think it's an amazing album so what do you got to recommend so um you know i've been listening to led zeppelin uh physical graffiti and road to ruin by ramones the other album we're, we're going to be recording a review for today with the great ralph Vieira. Uh, I've been listening to those albums nonstop. I make it a point to like listen to other stuff too, so I don't get burnt out on the albums I'm like studying. And one of those albums I'm listening to is the amazing, amazing uh, debut album from Overkill, "Feel the Fire." I that's fu- probably my favorite thrash album of all time. Fucking love it. There's so many just killer songs on there. You know, "Raise the Dead," the Overkill. Son- their cover of Sonic Reducer, Feel the Fire, Second Sun, just 
an album chock full of classics and uh, an album that we 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 got still we still got to do with Ian Wadley in the future. Uh, we think we're going to record it, and, uh, and I was kind of unable to do it. So that's what we're going to be reviewing, like hopefully in the future with Ian Wadley. Uh, man, what a killer fucking debut album! One of my probably my favorite thrash band, Overkill. I saw them in concert in March, and they were just phenomenal. Great album. If you haven't heard Feel the Fire by Overkill, definitely check it out. It's worth it. Or if you haven't heard it in a while, go go fucking uh, go pop that in your CD player or on your Spotify or wherever it is you, you, you listen to music with. You know, killer album. Awesome album. Awesome band. My favorite thrash band as well. Yep. We, definitely yeah. got, we definitely got to do an Overkill episode. Oh, yeah. And I'm going to do a discography review at some point on YouTube oh, as good. well. Like a Rankorama, yeah. Yeah. I did one review of their one of their albums on your show, I think. Yeah, I did the yeah the what their latest album. I did a video about the last album. The but I but yeah they deserve. I it's just been tough because they have so many albums though. And they I, do, I, yeah, they're very consistent too. And I want to get it right. It's like when I do Overkill, I want to make sure I give it right and give it the respect and time. It's not going to be a, a fast one like the the Saxon one. It, like I'm, I'm going to do a real in depth Overkill one, but it's just it's the time to do it, you know. And especially the 80s and early 90s albums, I can kind of get in depth with. But some of the early 2000 ones, like, I need to kind of listen to a yeah. few more times. Because even though I have all their albums, I haven't listened to those albums quite as much. But but in their last few albums, I think it would be great. But yeah, they're one of the best bands. I would say I'm a year, uh, Years of Decay or Horoscope guy for my favorite one. They're kind of the ones battling it out. But I love Feel the Fire. It's an amazing album. It's you know, and you're dead on. Yeah, if you're not listening to Overkill, you ain't fucking metal. Yeah, <laughs> fucking poser. Yep, you're a fucking poser if you don't love Overkill. So there you go. Yeah. So this that's, our, uh, that's our review on physical graffiti. Uh, definitely, if you get the chance, check out uh, Edwin's uh, YouTube videos that we like referenced all throughout this episode, especially the Zeppelin video. I mean, that one's really, really fucking good. Uh, you know, just Edwin Canastracci, very long Italian name. Um, <laughs> And also too, uh, join the join our Facebook page. You know, if you like what you hear on here, join the Facebook page. We're very interactive with our fans. Uh, you know, we always post cool music shit. You know, we're not we're not all uptight and everything. You know, we all have a sense of humor, so it's a fun fun place to to hang out and, and leave us some damn iTunes reviews. iTunes reviews have been pretty dry lately, so god damn it, people, leave us some reviews. Uh, whether they're bad or good, we will read them on the air. There you go. All right. All right. Over and out, brother. Over and out, man.
If you're sad to see 